Geek Vibes Nation has made the switch to Anchor. Let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more great podcast networks. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Let's get this started. Welcome, 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 everyone, to an all-new episode of The Great Debates. I'm your host, Juwan, joined by my amazing panelists, starting off with Dom. What's going on, Dom? Man, uh, I'm all right. I'm trying to stay as optimistic as possible in these uh, this weird, crazy, hateful week, but, you know, I'm going to try to get through it, you know. Yeah, man, dark times, dark times. So the best thing we could do is always add insight, uh, exposure, um, and then just positive vibes, man. The world desperately needs positive vibes. Um, I saw what a target looked like out there, and I was like, God damn. But, hey, they always say the revolution shall be televised, and a certain group of people always ignored it, and you got to see it, so. Maybe that'll help something. But, Odie, what's going on, man? What's up? What up, everybody? Uh, Happy late Memorial Day to all those. Um, And welcome. Absolutely. a long day at work. (laughs) (laughs) I had to put my teacher hat on because I was training somebody today. So. In sports? No, I was training somebody at work. Oh, 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 oh. Like, on something that I'm not even doing no more. So I had to reprogram my brain. This is the second time they did it to me in two weeks, training somebody. So I had to reprogram my brain to do what I just left from doing. And I got a promotion to do the next phase. And they got me training people on that phase. And then come to find out, I'll be training somebody again in another two weeks on what I'm doing now. So I got to reprogram myself to put all that in my head and take the rest of it. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, no. I I appreciate that, man. So they got me scrambled. Jobs, (laughs) jobs love to do that. It's sometimes like the worst thing to be too smart at your job because then they don't mind giving you all the work, but a little pay. Uh, (laughs) So it's like, yo, sometimes it got to balance out, man. You paying me to do two separate things. I need that revenue to add up. Um, they love yeah, everything people. virtual too so you know you're not even sitting side by side with somebody trying to tell them how to do something and over yeah. headset it, it's it's crazy uh it's crazy man but um all right let's get into this man we got a lot of great topics today i was really excited for these topics um i want to start off by saying when we go through these topics they are opinion based meaning no one's going to call you out if the statistics don't, uh, aren't up there or whatever. It's your personal opinion, and we're just going to talk about it. So what we're doing today is we are breaking down the top running backs, quarterbacks, uh, and wide receivers between 2010 and 2019. Um, and then we'll also be breaking down your, uh, your favorite football team's all-time uh, uh, list of five, like five great all-time players from your franchise, and then your starting five from your favorite basketball team, uh, all-time. 
Um, so we'll start off with running backs first, because that's what I have first on my list. Um, I'll start off. We're just going to do one at a time. We're not going to do them all because we'll forget what everyone's full list is. So we'll do them one at a time. Uh, this is in no particular order, but first up, I'm putting up Chris Johnson. Uh, Chris Johnson was a monster, um, like a legit monster. And what's crazy is when you look at the history of great running backs, nine times out of ten, they're on a horrible team. Um, like It's very rare an all-time transcendent running back is on a transcendent team. It's just rare. I think the last time, Odie, Don, correct me if I'm wrong, the last time we had a transcendent running back on an all-time uh, team was, I think, TD in Denver. Um, and before that, obviously, you had Emmett Smith. Um, but it's just, there's not many. I mean, Odie, I'll give you, I'll give you this. If you want to count it, maybe you can count Tiki. Um, but Tiki didn't win with them. It was Brandon Jacobs that won with the Giants. So, but how, you know, depending on how you view that Giants, uh, that Giants team, but I'm going Chris Johnson. I was just, I was blown away, uh, on how majority of their points came from (laughs) their running back. The quarterback was sketchy. The defense was sketchy. If he wasn't rushing for 2,000 yards <laughs> for uh, for like three or four seasons, the Titans just would have never been talked about. Um, and the crazy thing about Chris Johnson is his drop-off was exactly why the NFL is unanimous for not paying running backs because it went from the highest of highs to everyone going, oh, yeah, Chris Johnson, I remember that guy, like – in a in a heartbeat, it just completely changed like that. But um, but yeah, that man was electric to watch. Um, so I'm putting Chris Johnson up. Odie, who you putting up? Uh, first running back that I will name is still doing it to this day, blowing uh, out a knee and all that at the age, and that's Adrian Peterson. If you're going from 2010 on, you have to. You can't make a list, and he's not in your top two to three, in my opinion, because he's done it on every team he's been on, even when they say he couldn't do it. The number of carries may have went down, and that's strictly based off of his age in the NFL saying his age won't allow him to carry the ball that much. When you give him the carries – and the, like even this past season, in the games when they gave him the carries, the Redskins looked good. When you stop giving him the ball, you taking it away from like somebody to open up your entire offense. So um, he he's going to be uh, the first person that I mentioned, um, Adrian Peterson. Yes, definitely. Um, I'm I'm glad you you put him on here. He was on my list, and I assume he'd probably be on all three of our lists. Um, I'll never forget. Um, I'll never forget Bounty Gate because that was one of Adrian Peterson's best years that I really thought he was going to break through and win a championship. Um, it's just that goddamn Brett Favre, man. <laughs> um, but um, that was a great Adrian Peterson year. And then the all-time Adrian Peterson year, I'm curious, Odie, if you agree with this or not, was when everyone was like, yo, this injury, he's done, man, came right back, like right back, and then was – I think he was either top five or top three uh, for rushing uh, for rushing yards that season. Um, but it was like that. 
literally like that. And I think people forget, Odie, that Vikings weren't always kind of somewhat pseudo what you've seen them in the past four or five years. They were a laughing stock. It was kind of like this is uh, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers' like conference. There's just there's nothing the Vikings are doing. And then in comes Favre, in comes Adrian Peterson, completely turned that franchise around. Um, and then Adrian Peterson carried them on his back, man. He legit carried them. Um, but his stature, Odie, I haven't seen like modern day, not old school, modern day. I haven't seen a body like that since Sean Alexander uh, to where you could legit just run over guys and keep trucking and then just keep trucking. Like he had that speed that was like Mach 5. Um, so, yeah, Adrian Peterson definitely deserves to be on this list. I think most people have him at number one um, because he's just head over heels that much better than a lot of running backs we've seen today. But, um, yeah, AP definitely deserves to be on this list. Good pick, Odie. Uh, Dom, who are you putting on your list? Um, am I, I couldn't really put mine in an order like I thought I could. Um, but – I wanted to put on my list uh, Sean McCoy. Um, he was on a team that I – I ain't going to say I didn't like him. I didn't I didn't like him that much. But um, he's electrifying. Uh, he's still – I mean, until what, he got released in August uh, last year from uh, the Bills, I believe. Um, but he still had consistent numbers every year, great out of the screen. Um, which is why he did so well with uh, the Eagles. Um, and it's just, it's just that guy that before, you know, Reggie Bush's hype of being elusive got real big, it was LaShawn McCoy. You give him the ball, and he might juke your whole defense out. Uh, he's going to catch it out the backfield. And even with his size, he was he blocked well, too. So, uh, yeah, man, like, that's just that. Um, I think out of running backs, especially for – a team like Philly or Buffalo or really I mean, any big team that you, we see on a regular basis, you want a mixture of, you know, your skill. And, um, but you also, especially if you're Dallas, you want excitement. You know, people want to see running backs juke and truck people. And even if you're consistent, if you're not doing those things, you kind of get pushed to the back of the line because you, you're not making that much noise. So uh, LaShawn was, that was, he was perfect. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned LaShawn McCoy because his issues were the same as Adrian Peterson's issues uh, early on. They were fumble-prone. Remember, Odie, Adrian Peterson used to hold it like this, and people used to pop that thing out like it was no one's business. I don't know if you remember this, Dom. LaShawn McCoy used to just hold it like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still does. And what's crazy is when you play Madden, that's how he runs, and I'm like, I need to change that. No one should run like that. It's so easy to slap it out. But uh, once he kind of mastered it or put some kind of stick him, whatever he did, um, it, it just – people weren't popping it out. Why? Because he was elusive. It was hard to catch him. Um, but him and Adrian Peterson very early on, that was their yeah. biggest flaw. It was just fumble the, the other thing, The other thing about uh, LaShawn McCoy is that he actually was still doing it this past season until he got hurt for Kansas City. Yeah. Yeah. He was carrying them because uh, what's the name was out. The receiver was out. And he was their focal point on offense of, like, the elusive player to get the ball to. So he's still going. He's yeah. still going. He's just 
He just hasn't had the uh, showing that he had um, in Philly, except his first year in Buffalo. It's just that Buffalo don't remember get that TV. Snow game? Like he, <laughs> remember that he snow was, game? He was doing this the yeah. So, yeah, definitely. He's, he's one of the people I had on my list. Yeah, very elusive. Although I hated him when he was in uh, Philly. <laughs> Philly? Yeah. Uh, I hated him when he came to Buffalo. I was just like, God. Um, but, no, very good pick, very good pick. My next pick um, that I'm putting up on the board is – was my favorite running back for a while. Uh, so he ultimately fell off himself. But I'm putting up DeMarco Murray. Um, man, was DeMarco Murray talented. Uber talented. Um, and it was, it's so crazy how Jerry Jones will squander something like he gets, he gets a land of riches and finds a way to screw it up. Every time you had Romo and DeMarco Murray and Dez, like picture that trio. But back then that was like, all right, they're going to win it this year. And then they don't. And then you fast forward Dak, Elliot, and, uh, what's the receiver? Um, Cooper. And then they're squandering that. So it's like, yo, they can't keep getting all these riches and squandering them like that. But DeMarco Murray was so good. Um, he obviously drastically dropped off when he went to Philly. Um, Philly, for some reason, wanted him to run east-west rather than north-south. And he's not that kind of running back. So, like, he was horrible. It was so hard to watch him go like this and then get, like, six yards every time. It was like, you guys got to switch something up. But him as a cowboy – he was electric, man. It, it was so much fun to watch DeMarco Murray. Odie, I get it. Wasn't fun for you uh, as as a as a Giants fan. You probably tried your best I, to pay I, attention. Oh, <laughs> I had nothing against him because um, I he's not on my top ten. I'm gonna tell you why. Is people a lot of people don't uh, pay attention to his years before the offensive line was developed in Dallas. And he had that breakout season. He was a, he was a C plus B. And between a C plus and a B running back in the league without the dominant offensive line, then he had that breakout year and a half because half the season before that breakout year, they started to put that line together. And he started to dominate the second half of the season. And the reason the reason that he wasn't on my top ten is because without that line, you started to see just how much he can do by himself again. Um, so yes, Dallas was absolutely wrong for letting him go because you let him go three years prior to Zeke, and he would have been on my list had he still been in Dallas behind that offensive line for those three years. But Jerry Jones exposed him. No. So, um, and it was definitely the wrong move by Dallas. So I don't fault him at all in that aspect of it. But as far as like the overall running back, I didn't have him on my list because I, me, him being in the division of my team, I saw what he was prior to that offensive line. And then after that offensive line, it, he just wasn't the threat that. He should have been. And I kind of look back at his days at Oklahoma. Um, he was inconsistent. And that's how he fell. He fell to Dallas in the draft where he fell versus other running backs that was drafted with him um, because he was inconsistent at Oklahoma. Um, he had 
a breakout three games in that uh, Big 12, no defense uh, conference. And then he played outside conferences where they predicate stopping the run because they got some big boy defense alignment and stuff. And it was the air raid attack for Oklahoma. And he wasn't on the map for that game. So it made sense when he came to the NFL. So, and that, that was the opposite for LaShawn McCoy. LaShawn McCoy snuck up on the NFL because when he was at Pittsburgh, it was a pro-style offense that didn't utilize his speed and stuff. They had him running between the tackles like he was uh, Jerome Bettis or something. Because <laughs> that was my division because I'm a Florida State fan for college. So, yeah, he snuck up and DeMarco Murray stayed exactly where he was supposed to be in the NFL. Legitimate top 20 if we did a top 20, but my top 10, he didn't make it. Um, so, yeah. But I, I agree with you. He was a beast. He was or could still be had it, he been put in the right system. Really no. was the wrong system. I agree. And what's crazy, Odie, is you know what I always thought was crazy about them letting DeMarco Murray go? You had a injury-prone quarterback. Usually when you have a 1,000-yard uh, rusher, you lean on the 1,000-yard rusher to keep your quarterback from dropping back 30, 40 times a game and getting injured as much as Romo did. So well, just- well the, under, the underlining to it was, um, which is what's going on right now in Dallas, which people didn't pay attention to, is they wanted to pay somebody else. They, want, they paid Romo. They paid Bryant, but it was a third person that people wasn't paying attention to that they wanted to pay that, for me, he he didn't deserve the money, and that was their baby Wes Welker, and that was uh, Cole Beasley. That's what forced DeMarco Murray out with the money he was asking for because they tried to keep Cole Beasley because he was having breakout slot receiver games, and then you had Jason Witten that they were still paying, so – um, he was just asking for too much, and they thought they were going to get a uh, – a if they graded him as an A, they thought they was getting a B-plus in McFadden, and sorry, no, you're not. Not at all. <laughs> Obviously, y'all don't watch game film. No, you're not. Um, as far as size, uh, speed, and stuff, they match up perfect. You, you're looking at the same person. You can switch their uniforms out. But as far as skill, no. So that's yeah. pretty much what happened. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's just it, – it's confusing because it was like Tony Romo for, for a while wasn't playing full seasons. And it was like, that's a problem. You should probably figure out a way to make sure he's on your field. And they're like, nah, we'll get rid of our running back. That's not really smart. Um, so, I mean, hey, look, I, I had him on here because, like you said, that one, mo- that one monster year he had, albeit Cowboys for a while. No one really talks about it, but Cowboys for a while had the best offensive line in the NFL. Uh, it's starting to break down now, but they've had three or four stretches where they had the best offensive line. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I give it to him for that monster year. He was just – he was a beast for that monster year. But, uh, Odie, you're up next. Who are you putting up next on the list? All right, so most times when you talk about running backs, um, there are running backs that you people don't mention because they're not prolific ball carriers. This is a running back that I'm about to mention uh, was before 2010 and just retired and was pushing 40. 
probably was the smallest running back in NFL history to do what he did, and that's Darren Sproles. You, like, I'm sorry, when you talk about a running back and what they brought to the game, statistically, running the ball, rushing yards, he may not be there. But if when Darren Sproles was on the opposing team, you dreaded him being part of the game plan. Because if you match them up with a linebacker and they send them out on a pass route, sorry. If you bring an extra DB on the field and they give them the ball on a stretch play and you got that big lineman blocking that DB, sorry, because all he needs is a little crease and he's hiding behind the line. And he was just an Iron Man for all these years at his size. You put him in a return game, he was just all around. Um, and he was the best I've seen do it since, honestly, Dave Meggett. As far as an all-around, you, you can give him about 10 to 15 carries a game. It's going to be good carries, uh, productive carries, and then you can have him on the field for 40 snaps and put him in pass routes, and he may break the field open with a little uh, bench route to the sideline or a slant. So yeah, he was he was my Mr. Versatile running back that I have on the list. Um that most people wouldn't think to put on the list because he wasn't a pure running running back. See, I I agree with you uh that he belongs on the list and I disagree with anyone who thinks that he doesn't because Darren Sproles wasn't just a running back. He caught it, he was a kick returner, he was a punt returner. And, he and that's why, in all and that's why people, that's why people wouldn't put him on the list. Um, and it's the same thing. Like, um, if you're talking about dominant receivers, uh, nobody's gonna think, or running backs, nobody's gonna think of Devin Hester, right? Mm-hmm. Because Devin Hester, when he came in the league, was listed as a running back. Right. Then he was listed as a DB. Right. Then he was listed as a wide receiver. Which he was horrible. But, you had to list them <laughs> at one of those positions to create a roster spot for him to just be your return. Right. So he was horrible at all those. So nobody will ever think, oh, he played receiver. He played this, he played that. But the one year he played receiver in uh, Chicago, he actually had a decent season as a receiver, like a third option receiver. He had a decent season. But – you're not going to say, oh, yeah, that year, one of the top receivers in the NFL was there, was, uh, what's his name? But most people don't look at Darren Sproles as just a running back. So when you, when people are making these lists or positions, if you have a utility player that plays inside, outside, all over the field, they don't put them at a particular position like Charles Woodson, the great. He was on his way to being one of the best DVs, cornerbacks of all time, right? Mm-hmm. But then he switched to safety. He dominated that position. So you can't put him in a certain position when you're talking about his all-time greatness because he was all over the defense. But you will say he's one of the best DVs of all time. Right. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. that's how people look at Darren Sproles. He's hands down probably the best third-down running back of all time. If yeah. you want to break it down to, like, a label. But – if you're talking about consistency at a running back, he's on a list. He's a running back. He didn't play wide receiver, and they put him at running back, like the boy Montgomery from uh, the Packers, which, shit, he surprised me. He's 
the dominant sure. running back. Where did you yeah. come from? You ain't played running back since Pop Warner. What was crazy <laughs> about Darren Sproles was, Odie, was – if you pay attention to him, what he what they would do on third downs was he would never be in the eye formation. Um, never, right? He would always be right next to the quarterback, so you had your dual threat. You didn't know if he was going to throw it or hand it off, and that's where Darren Sproles was getting you. He was getting those quick handoffs right up the middle, first down. Um, so, I mean, I always looked at Darren Sproles' uh, footwork the way I look at Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks is not a good route runner, like, at all. But what does he have? That crazy speed that he can just run right by you, get open. Darren Sproles was that. He's not a route runner like you were saying, Odie. But he could get open. He could get open. And here's the one thing that people don't utilize enough, Odie, because too many running backs are uh, I-formation running backs rather than elusive. They can catch, uh, catch passes. When you have a running back that's effective as a receiver – they always catch the linebacker. And whenever you do that, as Shaq would say, that's barbecue chicken. Your running back should be able to get that 10 times out of 10. Uh, if he can't outrun the linebacker, you got a whole nother problem on your hands. But that's where Darren Sproles was effective because you put your linebacker on him, that's a touchdown every time. But that's why I'm glad you put him on the list because kick return, punt return, receiver, running back, unstoppable in all four facets. Um, so I'm glad you put him on the list. Definitely deserves to be on here. I'm a little upset I didn't have him on there. Um, maybe I should have put him on there instead of DeMarco. Um, but Dom, who you put on the list? I almost had Sproles on my list too. And I did I did I guess he'd be of course in my like my top, but like I think I took him off just because of what you were saying is that people see him as this all encompassing, like just athlete. And that's a, but it is one of those things that I was um Thinking the other day with my homie, I was like, it's very unfortunate that running backs have to fight for the, for, for the money. But besides DB, they probably have one of the hardest jobs on the football field. They have to run, catch, block. And the guys are blocking are three times their size. And you're running with usually with your back to the defense. So nine times out of ten, you catch you getting blasted. So, uh, yeah, it's very unfortunate they don't get paid like they should. Especially when they have to, their shelf life is what five years, four years. I think uh-huh. it keeps going down every year. Um, but my person, my next person is kind of similar to why you like um, Sproles and it's Frank Gore. Um, that dude, I don't know how he's still playing. Um, <laughs> and he's had more thousand yard seasons than not. I mean, he almost never gets hurt, and every team he goes on to, it makes him better. It just makes no sense. He's like that guy that you just like, man, we're so close to a championship. What do we need? Yo, somebody call Frank Gore, give him like one year or something so we can <laughs> win this thing. Because that dude, I don't know, he where he goes, the teams eventually get better. Um, and to still be going strong, I think last year, uh, because of the offense, they ran, he didn't get the ball as much, but he still had like, 700 yards. Um, so, yeah, that dude, I mean, it's hard for me not to pick him. And he went to Miami, so. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know what's funny about what you said about Frank Gore is it goes back to our first podcast when I was talking about, like, the culture and stuff. He brings a culture. Yeah. You know what I mean? He brings that I come to work every day, I do my job, 
and you don't see me in the paper. I bring that to the locker room and I'm a leader. You understand? And the other great thing, and I don't know who his surgeon was and who his oh, therapist yeah. was, his rehab therapist, but they should be like touching <laughs> Bill Gates' money because I've never seen somebody blow out both knees right. and have the longevity and consistency that he's had when you're talking about bone on bone on two knees. Like you got fake knees, like, and like you're not, your body's not breaking down. Like they put bionic knees in. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about like even now when they sign him to one year deals on these teams, um, and they just expect him to come in and be uh, an extra running back to help out with carries. He ends up being the starting running back. You right. get twenty to twenty five carries every game, and he's lasting the whole 17-game season, 17-week season. It's like, and then they made playoffs. So you're like, dude, you're getting hit consistently. You're getting up off the ground, bro. You're the same age as me. Right. I have one knee surgery. That's why I play defense now. Like, I don't need somebody hitting my knees every play. Which, right. <laughs> which yeah, he, uh, and, and that, that's crazy how, like, when he was in college, the running backs that he played behind and in front of and stuff like that, like Clinton Portis, uh, Walter Payton's son, it was it was some running backs on that team. And you're like, Willis McGahee, I think. Willis McGahee, because he blew out his yeah knee, and that's what put. Uh, and I think his freshman year, Clinton Portis was there. Um, yeah, like you had some running backs, and it's like, and the crazy part about it, they all blew out their knee at one point in time. I think Miami just started <laughs> putting alignment knee braces on their running backs because their yeah. running backs have knee problems. But uh, <laughs> yeah, like it was some running backs on them teams. Like them teams were stacked with NFL talent. Yeah, yeah. What what made the? I think when Frank Gore went to the Frank Gore the year Kaepernick. Uh, started because uh, Alex Smith was hurt was when I really, 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 truly started paying attention to Frank Gore. And that man was a monster. And I want to say this. No one really points this out, but it should be pointed out. Nine times out of ten, the reason why Colin Kaepernick's Wildcat worked was because Frank Gore was such a threat. So if he handed it off, you're looking at a first down. Uh, so you're now like, damn, I got to stop either Kaepernick or Frank Gore. <laughs> you had linebacks deciding, Get, let Kaepernick keep it. I don't want Frank. I don't want none of that smoke. Um, but that's what was successful for Kaepernick a lot because it was the threat of, you sure you want me to hand it to Frank? <laughs> you know. So, um, But that team to me, and, and I hate that uh, Madden doesn't have like 2K and uh, like all-time teams for each franchise because I would love – to play is that uh, that 49ers team uh, the year they went to the Super Bowl. One of the best teams ever. I consider them, Odie, you might disagree with this, I consider them the year Curry first won his MVP, uh, where it was just him, Clay, Harrison Barnes, Draymond, and Bogut. That's what I consider that 49ers team. From the linebacker position, your corners, uh, your DTs, uh, your running back, your receivers, Crabtree to me was just like, yo, this guy's going to be it. And then as soon as Kaepernick was gone, it was like, ooh, yikes. 
Crabtree don't look like he the same no more. Um, but no, that team is transcendent to me. That's one of the greatest uh, teams. Um, like if you're making like an all time, I'd put him on there. But yeah, man, Frank Gore, monster. Yeah, a lot of people like somebody else you want to hand that off to. I I don't really want to see Frank today. <laughs> I didn't really exercise the way I needed to this morning. Um, but, yeah, no, Frank Gore definitely deserves a spot on this list. Great pick, Dom. All right, next up, I'm going. I'm glad this man fell in my lap and y'all didn't take him from me. Like, Odie did AP, so I'm glad I get to use him. But before I say uh, who I'm going with, I want to say I was going to put LaDainian Tomlinson on my list. Only reason I didn't is because I checked his stats because he retired in, like, 2013. So I checked his stats for 2010 up to when he retired. They started to dwindle drastically. Um, but LaDainian Tomlinson, if I open this up a little bit more, I'd put up against all you guys' running backs, and I'd feel confident. Um, but the guy I'm going with is uh, Marshawn Lynch. I'm putting Marshawn Lynch up on the board. I feel like not much needs to be said. Um, Marshawn Lynch could have won the Seahawks that Super Bowl, Super Bowl against my Patriots. Um, but this is when I became a fan of Marshawn Lynch. I'm watching, I think it was Seattle versus Saints, uh, first round of the playoffs. That breakout run he had to where it was like the earthquake run. I was just like, yo, who is this? <laughs> like, who, who is this guy? And why is no one able to tackle him? And then from that moment on, getting Russell Wilson, getting Pete Carroll, implementing better uh, game plans for him, he just became a beast. And that's why his name was Beast Mode. Um, that guy was a monster. If Marshawn Lynch could have uh, caught the ball better, he would have been an all-around monster. Because you play him first down, you play him second down, you play him third down. Um, so to me, Marshawn Lynch has to go down is one of the greatest running backs, especially between this span of 2010 and 2019. Uh, the guy is just a monster. But, Odie, your thoughts? Uh, he would have made my top 15, not my top 10. And the only reason I say that is because he has some of the most iconic, great runs as far as a highlight. But consistently, game in, game out, first quarter to fourth quarter, he wasn't as dominant as people think he was. Um, if you go back and you watch, right, if you're talking about his era before, like, well, right shortly before 2010, a little bit after, I think it was one year or whatever, before he left Buffalo, I think it was in, like, 2011, that Marshawn Lynch, hands down. You can't take nothing from him when he is in Buffalo because he was a different he was a different body, a different runner because he had a lot of speed. So you was mixing that power and speed. He had a different frame. In Seattle, Marshawn Lynch was not a name until that one run. But people don't realize that Seattle only had seven wins on the season. Yeah. It was it was uh it wasn't a good season for him as a running back. And that one run wiped away every negative thing about that season for Seattle um, to where they shouldn't even been in the playoffs. That's what I was talking about before, how a seven and nine team makes the playoffs because of their division was just horrible. 
that's when San Francisco couldn't find a quarterback after the whole Garcia and everybody left. They was looking. Um, Alex Smith uh, was yet to be called a game manager at the time. They had nothing there. Um, but I don't – I just – even in Seattle, like, in the later years uh, with Russell Wilson – there was it was a running back by committee type thing, and Carson was the best running back on that team for me. You know what I mean? He had the power and he had the speed. Um, they would bring Marshawn Lynch in for I need you to run somebody over and get the crowd back in it. We need that twelfth man, or it's only three yards to go. Let me give you the ball, see what you can do. But if you go back and film, Marshawn Lynch was stopped on more short yard runs to get the first down than he was successful on those runs. And that's hard to say when you think about how powerful and his whole name of beast mode. But yeah, so that's why he was in my top 15. He he didn't make my top uh, 10. I can't tell you where he would have been. He probably would have been 11 in my top 15. Um, so that, that was just my whole outlook on it. Um, was that that aspect of it um, was that I think he was a more dominant running back with the Bills than he was with Seattle. So that's why he didn't make my top 10 for the era that we had to go with. But if this was 2000 to 2019, he definitely would have been in my top 10 hands now because you got to add the two together. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 been a thousand yard rusher a few years, specifically 2013, 2014. But I thought it was interesting what you said about um, him being stop uh, his his uh, stoppage of of shortage. I thought it was interesting because people make a big deal, obviously, because it it deserves one. A big deal about Russell Wilson throwing the game losing interception at the Super Bowl. But what no one talks about is. Marshawn Lynch had a wide open lane right up the middle to play before to get them on the goal line. And he was shoestring tackled by Dante Hightower um, and couldn't get it into the end zone. No one ever talks about that. That's why Pete Carroll probably paid more attention to might want to throw it right here. I think we got something. Um, And I think Odie, I think you would even attest to that play. Any other, any other franchise you play, any other uh, head coach, that play probably works. The fact that uh, in their documentary, Bill said with Malcolm Butler, they had practiced that exact play uh, the week of the Super Bowl, let you know if any other head coach was in that position, Russell Wilson probably gets that throw in. You, you want to know they lost that game on that last play. Would it come down to that play? They lost that game almost 10 years earlier. I'm going to tell you why. Because if you go back to Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, and uh, the boy Leonard, whatever his name was, the other running back that they had with the great team of USC when they played Texas in the Rose Bowl, Pete Carroll, the reason why they allowed Texas to come back and Texas got that great stop with uh, my boy Ross, who ended up being a giant, is because Pete Carroll in the crunch will always go to what he knows best. And they ran a play on that third down that every time they needed a play, he ran that play. So if you have a full season 
of film on that one play, you are prepared to stop it. And they talked about it on the documentary that they had about it, that they had that one play, they had a defense for it, and didn't run that defense until that one crucial time, because it was the only time that Pete Carroll ran that same play. And they knew he was going to run it. So that's what I mean. Pete Carroll, if you look at the season with the Seahawks, ran that play every crucial short down yardage where he was throwing the ball. He ran that exact same pick play. So the Patriots had no choice but to be prepared. And the only time he ran that play in the game was when. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Some, no, people you're right. you're right. some people just can't right. get out of their own way sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, it, it's just something that you've seen happening, something that was going to happen. So, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, Odie, the reason why I said any other head coaches, what they were saying statistically was it's so rare to get an interception in the end zone. Um, because you don't have much field to work with. And the offense is kind of coming in from a point of, of an advantage. I mean, you could definitely speak in here, agree, to, or agree, agree or disagree. But to me, I remember watching that play. I was so nervous because I'm like, how they lined up made me nervous. I'm like, what is about to happen? And I didn't know anything about a pick play, none of that. So I'm just looking at it. And I'm like, this looks like I'm about to have to go to school the next day and just – sit through all this BS about us losing. And when Malcolm Butler caught it, I was just like, that's like one that's like once in a lifetime. You run that play over again, he probably misses it by like an inch. Um so I mean I'm just well, looking at it. They, like, they, were, they were well prepared. They were well prepared. So that's exactly how you defend a pick play is exactly how they did it. And they were well prepared for that formation, that situation. Um the once in a million part of that situation that goes to it is him getting an interception. Right. But him actually being being in position to deflect the ball and stuff, no, because you have to factor in everything that transpired with the play. Factor in the fact that um, Russell Wilson is 5'9", everybody falls to 5'10". And if you look at the Patriots' defensive line, at the snap, they all stood up and rushed straight up. They didn't rush low because right. they knew it has to be a quick throw. So they all stood up. So he had to throw at an angle that would make the ball come a little later than it would had he thrown his normal throwing style overhand and that ball jet in there. So it takes and, a little juice off of it. And so it was okay. a lot that went into that play. And the biggest part of that play, and that's why I'm like, I hate – well, let me not say I hate, but it's crazy that the guy's going through murder trials and everything now. But what no one really gives credit to is Brandon Browner jammed up the other receiver at the line of scrimmage so the other receiver couldn't cut right across that quickly uh, to get that ball before Malcolm Butler even – That's had what I'm saying. That, that's how yeah. That's how when you, when you play football, they teach you to defend. There's – it's called a high-low. Mm -hmm. So – Whoever's on the line of scrimmage, which that receiver was on the line of scrimmage, whoever the DB is on that receiver, you're the jammer. Right. So this is a little coaching moment, right? If you ever, <laughs> if you ever like, like, yo, happen to be coaching a team, pop one or whatever it is in life, whenever you have two receivers, whichever receiver is on the line of scrimmage, whoever that DB is over that receiver, 
jams that receiver. I don't care if it's they on their own 20 and they got 80 yards to go. You jam that receiver because he's on the line for a reason. And if he's on the line and he's in the slot, that means he is trying to the time of crossing somewhere. Right. He's trying to get somewhere to mess up the defense. He's either the decoy or he's the one getting the ball, but he's trying to get somewhere fast. So you always jam the receiver that's on the line of scrimmage. Um, and that's where a lot of DBs and defenses mess up is because they'll have that. He'll look like he's jamming and he'll take a false step back. Right. You set yourself up at that point in time because you gave him a step. Whether it's up, side, side, back, you gave him that release. At the snap, you go towards him with Brown or did. You go towards him so no matter what he's doing, his, his timing is off because everything right. in football is timing. Yeah. So it, w- it was just messed up right there. Yep. The other receiver had to take a false step to get past the messed up timing. Yep. I learned about jamming, Odie. Um, the AFC Championship game last ye- – not last year, two years ago, uh, Patriots versus Chiefs, um, when they had asked Bill – they had asked either Bill or one of the defensive coordinators. I think it might have been Matt. Um, how were they able to kind of like hold Travis Kels, uh to below an average game? And they said, we told our linebackers, get in them. Get in them right off the line of scrimmage. Get in them, throw them off. Because one thing they were saying Travis Kels does not like is physicality. Um, like you get physical with them right then and there, throws them off. That's, um, that's any tight end because they're coming from a disadvantage with their well, Except for Gronk. <laughs> well, Gronk, well, Gronk, Gronk never liked being touched by defensive linemen. That's true. Yes, that's true. That's true. A linebacker is a different size, but whenever Gronk was getting jammed up at the line by a defensive lineman was his bad games because that defensive end would touch him first and then rush the quarterback. Right. The worst thing in the world because you're already a step slower than everybody else released because you're coming from a three-point stance. So you're talking about a receiver standing upright running. Uh, tight end is standing this way with his hand in the dirt, and he has to elevate his body and get to where he's going. It, you don't want to be touched as tight end. I play tight end. <laughs> you don't want somebody in your face touching you when you're trying to because it throws off everything about where you're running from. Because you have to go around. Yeah. And then when you go around, it's somebody standing there, a linebacker or a safety who's ready to run with you, who is prepared because they've had that extra half a second to sit there and get their feet chopping. Yeah, no, you're right, man. But that's when I learned about it. I was like, I didn't really pay attention to it. So then you start watching and it's like, Travis Kells does not like that at all. But you're absolutely right. That's probably all tight ends. Um, but, all right, so we went kind of not really for Marshawn Lynch. All right, no problem. So, Dom, okay. you got Marshawn on your top ten? No, nah, he was actually – he was – oh, my top ten, yeah. Uh, he was – I thought about him for this list, but I think I give him more points for um, how much better he could be. Because when you see how he is off the field, like as soon as he leaves the field to the sideline, you can tell that even though he did very tremendously, he's not trying that hard. And you can kind of tell, like you were saying, with, like, his body, he kind of was like, whatever. Um, and I know part of it is because he was more about, like, trying to fix his community. So that yeah. I, I, I was like, hey, do your thing. 
But I know that, like, if he really wanted to be the best running back in the league, he probably could have been. But he I, he got to that point of, like, I cannot try that hard and still do numbers. So while I can go, you know, do what I'm going to do. Uh, but, he, yeah, he'd definitely be in my, my, my top ten. I think he uh, – even though, you know, sports media would call him a distraction because they're not, oh, yes, I play football and uh, we're going to win. You know, anytime they speak for themselves, they have a they have a problem with it. So I do think he kind of made um, created the atmosphere for like the uh, I know at least for the Seahawks. I didn't follow him as much as the Bills, but just the guy that you know that he's he's a team player. He got your back. He gonna have you know I mean whatever happens, he's got your back. And then the fact that he's playing the system, they say I got to be here and answer these questions. So I'm gonna say. I'm here so I don't get fined. <laughs> or, yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but, hey, look, you ain't never hear of a negative thing about Marshawn Lynch off the field. Uh, he never gave you a sound bite. And um, that, that, that's why what Dom said, like, makes so much sense because how do you have negative things and you have a negative connotation for somebody being who they are from where they're from? but they are not doing the things that you hear on the news, the bad things about where they're from and stuff like that. So he he just was being him. He's from the Bay. He's getting hypey. He, he has a certain lingo and stuff like that. And you don't like it because he won't conform to you. Right. And you definitely don't like it because you can't deny him his new process as far as giving him a contract because – Hey, what can we say? What what legitimate reason would we have to not pay him or not give him a contract or sign him? Has he been in trouble with the law? No. Oh shit. Okay. Has he had any over cases? No. Alcoholism? No. He got that drug problem that all these uh, African American athletes have where he smokes weed all the time. No. Uh, he gambles. Shit. No. Ain't even got the money because he put it all in the open. You know what I'm saying? Like, what can you do? You can't. So you so you have to hate it because you're not willing to accept it. Yeah. The way of a way of America, boy. That's your win-win <laughs> right there. That's your win-win right there. Especially as a black athlete, to where you're like, hey, you have two options. You can either tell uh tell the team that you no longer wanna uh interview me after games, which is win-win for me, or I come here, I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> thank you. Yes. No. Thank you. I even remember Dom something as silly as I even remember when remember he used to celebrate by grabbing the crotch and diving into the end zone. Yeah, do, you yeah. what, do you remember what he did when Seattle told him not to do that? Every time he scored, the team would run up to him, he would stop him and just shake their hand and walk off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's how smart Marshawn Lynch is. All right, you don't want me to do it? No celebrations then. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Like he's that. so smart, man. But that, that's the part that, like, kills me is um, everybody gives a little bit more credit to Richard Sherman, but he's getting backlash now because he stands with black uh, pride movements. But everybody gave him credit for coming out of the ghetto, being at Stanford, being a scholar, the 4.0 and stuff like that. But what people fail to realize is Marshawn Lynch was the first one that did that at the University of Cal 
because he was offered an academic scholarship to Ivy League schools before he was ever offered a football scholarship. So he's the first to do it. So you can't, he's extremely smart. The most smartest cross-eyed man I've ever met, I've ever known <laughs> in my life. But, you know, um, you can't take that from him. No. So no. the next on my list, you're not going to like this, Jawan, because he was a he was the nemesis of your team. Um, and he used to do his numbers with no quarterback for years. Um, he did consistently for two different teams as consistent as you can be. And he's not – I'm just naming him now because we've named so many people in that order. But from the tens to the – 19s, he didn't make it so far into the teens, but Matt Forte. Yeah. No, I, I I wouldn't say I didn't like him. He didn't. He wasn't that much of a thorn uh, to the Patriots side as LaDainian Tomlinson was when he was a Jet. Um, but Matt Forte in Chicago, that man was a monster. I completely agree. That man was a monster. And we all but know. That's why I was kind of skeptical because of the um, the years. He was edging into the 2010 and beyond. Let yeah. me tell you why. Let me tell you why I give it to him. He's not on my list, so this isn't me giving giving another one on my list. I have Arian Foster on my list, and we that know was the next player I had on my list. Yeah, okay. okay so I, I'll be quiet so you can go into it. So you can go into it. But yeah, as far yeah. as Matt Forte, so. his years, like him and Brandon Marshall, deserve better. Um, they definitely did. The fact that you had Alshon Jeffrey, young Alshon Jeffrey, prime Matt Forte and prime Brandon Marshall, and you couldn't get him a quarterback is disgusting. Literally disgusting. Because those three guys should have been a three-headed monster that won at least two championships before that team exploded. The fact that they didn't is crazy. So, yeah, no, I, I would yeah, say Matt Forte belongs. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, I'd say Matt Forte definitely deserves the spot. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with Matt Forte. So that's that's me, Dom. No, that's a that's a really good pick too. I uh, he was in my honorable mentions. <laughs> <laughs> um, my guy. Yeah, I feel like and you know what's weird? Like I thought about this player, and then realized that no one ever talks about him, and I don't know what happened because he was really big and he had a, you know, a fall off a little bit his last couple of years, but, uh, um, Steven Jackson, uh, for me, I played, uh, fullback D line. And then, uh, when we did like our, uh, we had like a thunder package, what they called it. Uh, I played running back. Um, so seeing guys like, you know, I had, you know, Jerome Bettis, and growing up and, and had um, All-Star, you know. That's what Steven Jackson came at a time when I was really trying to run the ball, and uh, he got progressively better every year. And then, he, you know, I think when he went to Atlanta is when the drop-off kind of happened because Atlanta no, had – when he went to us. When he went to us, <laughs> he was done. Oh, no, yeah, no that's gap. true. That's true. There was no doubt. Um, I wish we had Atlanta. <laughs> but yeah, I think you know the, the it's hard for running backs in general. But when you're the big back, they're going for your knees. So your career, if his career, as long as it was what 
probably like 10, 12 years. I think it's that's like a, that's a long time. Yeah, that's a long time for a big bat. He's getting all the hits because he's not going to juke you as much. He's going to try to use that body, uh, that momentum against you and, and brush you off of the shoulder. Um, so, yeah, that's one of the first guys that popped in my head when you first mentioned his list. Yeah, no, I mean, look, he's he's another yeah. guy. Cause I like he had that. Sam I, I, I have no say so. Yeah, he had Sam Bradford. He's another guy that just deserved better. Yeah. <laughs> like he deserved yeah. better. And that's why I said, Odie, that's why I said to start this, when you look through the history of great running backs, nine times out of ten, um, it's not from a good team. Like, they didn't go to the playoffs and go far and win a Super Bowl. It just – it rarely happens. That's why I've always been a fan of – and that's why I say this shit happened in basketball well before football um, – is that I don't think the best player coming uh, into the draft should have to go to the worst team. Because nine times out of ten, in basketball more so than football, you're there close to ten years. Um, and then you're starting to look at, all right, I'm either going to retire here or I'm going to move on. So you're stuck. And if that franchise just sucks, give you a perfect example. Devin Booker will never be known more than just the guy that dropped 60, 70 points on one game. And he's, he, I think he's top 15 in the NBA, but you'll never know that. Why? Because the Phoenix Suns are horrible. They're a horribly run organization. They're getting better, um, but they're just, since Nash left, they just always have been known as a bad, uh, a poorly run organization. So to me, the only difference with football is a quarterback could change your franchise. Literally. doesn't matter how it's run. Quarterback comes in, you're in the playoffs that very next year. Um, so with football, it's a little different. But I hate seeing a gifted running back or wide receiver um, go to a horrible team. And then we're looking at him like, well, maybe he isn't that good. Well, it, it, it would help if the guy isn't getting sacked 30 times a game or throwing it to the other team. So, to me, looking at Steven Jackson, Matt Forte, guys that should have just been better, um, like in better positions, it's it's sad. It's sad. It's sad. But, um, Odie, so your pick was Matt Forte, right? Yeah. So, okay. you can go segue into Adrian Foster. <laughs> no. Hold on. I want to get – wait, Dom, did you give your pick or were you saying – uh, who you would have put? Steven Jackson. Most Steven Jackson. Oh, that was your pick. Okay, all right, cool. Um, no, I'm not going to go Arian Foster. I'm going to leave that for you because I actually don't have him on my list. So I'm going to leave that for you. Um, I'm going with a guy who some would say smartly retired before it started to, to wear on him. But he was my favorite running back to watch because I think we're the same height. And that's Maurice Jones-Drew. I loved me some Maurice Jones-Drew. That was a hard runner. Uh, and like his stature was so weird. It's very, it's it's not very often. Well, actually, I would say it is. It is often. You usually get short and chubby. Is usually what you kind of get. Uh, that's all you can be when you're short. It's like you got to have something. <laughs> um, but Maurice Jones Drew was a hard runner. Again, drafted to a franchise that couldn't do much. Um, and I was really shocked when he retires. I'm like, he's so young. <laughs> like, he's not old. His numbers aren't starting to dwindle. Um, but I guess he was just like, it, it's taking a toll. But um, I'm putting Maurice Jones-Drew on this list. Uh, I definitely think he deserves a spot. But, Odie, what do you think? Uh, that's a good pick. Um, I didn't know his years. 
before he retired. I know it wasn't that long ago, so that's why I didn't like look at him. But you enlightened me on somebody I should have took a look at. So yeah, I like it. I'm shocked. <laughs> In a sports conversation with my uncle, I can safely say that's never happened. Um, so I'm going to just take that and pass it to you, Dom, and see what you think about Maurice Jones-Drew. No, um, he's the only re- – besides, um, was it Fred Jones that was on uh-huh. the running back? Or- yeah. Yeah, so besides that – because I remember the, uh, the video of him in college when he stiff-armed dude's helmet off when I played North Carolina, and I was like, I got to watch the guy in the NFL. So besides him, Maurice Jones-Drew is the only reason – anybody that I know was watching uh, the Jaguars because they're the Jaguars. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that dude was like a record ball. It didn't make any sense for you to be um, – which we see now, though, that, like, that he's not, like, exercising as much. He just kind of exploded a little bit. Oh, for sure. Because sure. to keep that size and, and the, the cutness that he uh, – the slimming he had to do, it's probably very hard to maintain because of his height, you know. Um, but um, how tall was he? Oh, geez. I don't five know. 5'8"? Okay. So, he – he the way his build was I'm, – I'm 5'10", so I'm, I'm a little taller, but we're essentially the same height. Um, but those are the kind of guys when you um, – you aspire to be when you're – that size is a running back. And then the fact that no one's tackling you. It's not only that you're just low to the ground, low center of gravity thing, but you're literally running through people. You can cut when you want to. Um, and uh, from what I remember, he didn't fumble much. I mean, it's kind of hard to, if he bends down to kind of hit that ball. But, um, no, nah, that's, that's a good pick, though, man. He was uh, definitely exciting to watch. And just so you know, Odie, in 2011, he led the lead in, uh, in rushing yards. Um, so I think he retired in 2013, well, I think. But go ahead. That, that segue into my uh, next running back, because they were teammates, that's Jonathan Stewart. Oh, yeah. Carolina years, right? Jonathan, yeah. And yeah. then he was with he, – was a journeyman after that, but was still consistent until he got to my team. We didn't give him the ball. Um, but <laughs> but he he was the the only thing that helped Cam Newton in Carolina for some years. Sure. And until he got injured that one year, like he was consistent, consistent, consistent. Um, and that's why Carolina felt okay. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, because uh, more regional Jews was Jacksonville, but Carolina, you know, like, and his teammate, D'Angelo Williams, was on my list too because they were the two-headed monsters. Um, and after D'Angelo Williams' short career, like, he just held it down. So that's why I put him over D'Angelo Williams. Um and D'Angelo Williams is in my top 15. But, yeah, Jonathan Stewart, man. Like, you're talking about the assistant run you over and then could run by you. Like, from Oregon to Carolina, he just did it. <laughs> yeah, and I'll say Jonathan Stewart – I'd say uh, Stewart and Cam 
were a newer version of Kaepernick and Frank Gore. It was, if I pull this wildcat off, you know you're not tackling Cam. It was way harder to tackle Cam than it was uh, Kaepernick. Um, that's, that's why that's why D'Angelo uh, Williams' career came to a halt when they made Cam into a regular quarterback and ended the wildcat. Right, exactly. Because when you look at flirts. when you look at Cam, I don't think Cam is faster than Kaepernick. It's just he's he's big. He looks like a tight end, um, and he's running the football like a running back. So you look at him and you kind of go, I either have to stop six. this. Right, I either have to stop this guy that will just run me over or that guy who also could run me over. And it was just, you got to take a pick. So that's why you look at the way that that, that Panthers team was running, you go, it's one of the best. Like, it's, as far as fun to watch, it's one of the best because you at any given day, we're stuck in the triple threat. Cam runs it, Cam throws it, or he hands it off. Um, and they could damage you just as well. So I like that pick. I like that pick a lot. And that's why when you said his name, I'm like, Carolina. We got to go with Carolina because that's – he was the man when he was in Carolina. Anywhere else, I'm like, I can't really remember, but Carolina for sure. As soon as you said it, I was like, aha, got you. Um, but, Dom, how, what, what do you think about that pick? No, that's a great pick. Um, this is, I mean, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing to argue. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, who you putting up? Who you putting up on your list, Dom? Um, so we've already mentioned this person, um, which is uh, Adrian Peterson. It's hard not to put him on there, um, and he, uh, like Derrick Henry, now is one of those running backs that you, as a defender, you're like, oh shit, if he gets the ball, it's probably a touchdown. Like now, you know, I don't. It's hard. It looks weird because I feel like if you compare them, they probably have just as much power. Derek Henry probably a little bit more because he's a massive dude. Um, Adrian looks faster, but Derek Henry is clearly running past people, but he's so damn a, such a giant that he looks like he's walking and just passing everybody. <laughs> but uh, now Adrian Peterson, man, <laughs> is uh, – I mean, I remember watching him in, in, in college and then uh, – was very curious if it was going to pan out in the NFL because a lot of times those great college stories turn to be NFL duds a lot of the time. Um, dude, like, made to watch teams watch. You know, uh, him with the – you know, of course I had to follow Brett Favre a little bit when he left Green Bay. And I'm sad he went to the Vikings. And I was like, oh, we got, we got AP, let's see. And it's just it's fun to watch. So um, yeah, it's hard not to put Adrian on there. Yeah, no, you know you made a great point for AP. I had to take him off off my list because Odie had already said him. So to end my my running backs list, I'm uh, I'm gonna go with a guy that I replaced AP with um, that I had in the tuck, and that's Legarrette Blunt. Uh, Legarrette Blunt is <laughs> was forever will be a problem. He was a problem in Tampa Bay. Um, he now, albeit he was more of, I want to say, obviously your power runner. Um, he had moments where he showed his elusiveness and his speed, but it wasn't until his New England years that it was like, God, he is fast, like he's fast, fast. Um, and then obviously his short stint in Pittsburgh, and then coming back to New England, and then 
very sadly beating New England to win his championship in Philly. Um, LeGarrette Blunt is, is always shown that he's a problem. And to me, um, he was what New England's been looking for since, I want to say, Corey Dillon. Um, your strong power uh, back that also can, can gain yards once he starts to get some traction. Um, and I just remember it as, I don't know if we're winning those two or three Super Bowls without what he contributed uh, to us during the season. Um, so LeGarrette Blunt made it on purely off the strength of, I, I thanked him for those championships he ran us to. Um, that, like, I'll never forget the, the game against the Colts where the deflate gate, um, where I tell people all the time, like, you ridicule Brady for wanting the balls, like, deflated, but you forget Le- uh, LeGarrette Blunt was running all over the Colts all game. Like, they had no answer for LeGarrette Blunt. Um, Brady threw the ball in the second half, not in the first. So, LeGarrette Blunt made it, up, made it on my list purely off the strength of I got to see him all year for, like, three or four years. Um, so, he made it all just out of appreciation. Um, so, what do, you, what do you think about LeGarrette Blunt? He was in a league. He was consistent. So, no, uh, no uh, disagreement or no uh, – Nothing negative to say about that bit. So you would put him in your ten definitely over Marshawn? Uh yeah. Okay. All right. Because he was he was more consistent from day one and with them not bringing him back and then signing him during the season showed exactly what you was missing because he came in and was And took right over. Problem. (laughs) It took right over. Then he put the pads back on. So, yeah, he was consistent in Tampa Bay. Everywhere he went, he was consistent. In Philly, he was consistent. Um, So, yeah. I can tell you right now, Odie, I remember it vividly. They was handing it off to James White, and it was not working. So, as soon as Steelers dropped him, they said, hey, yo, my bad. (laughs) Like, we're going to need you back for a little bit, man. Uh, I'll never forget that. I was just like, God, we suck at running the football. And then breaking news, Steelers drop. Get him. Like, go get him. Uh, but, Dom, what, what are your thoughts on Garrett Blunt? No. <laughs> so, I think if um, aggressive is not usually a word that you associate with a lot of running backs. And I remember him from his college days. And – was kind of excited that there was a player like that. Like, I, I, I don't – okay, football is an aggressive sport, right? And I hate that people always try to put this ballerina touch on football. And I get you want to describe it elegantly and eloquently for the people because, you know, some of them might be the first time watching that sport. But it's an aggressive sport. Don't be surprised when you see a punch thrown. Don't be surprised when you see someone take their helmet off and swing it at somebody. These are some of the biggest men in the world, some of the greatest athletes in the world. And with coming, with coming, being a man of that stature, you're running high on adrenaline, testosterone, playing a, a collision sport like gladiators and the Coliseum. Um, so, they're going to be aggressive. That's part of being a man in that sport. If you get punked out, your team loses respect for you and your whole career is going to be different. 
So as soon as Garrett Blount to be Spike P talking about him, he was winning you games because his aggressiveness toward his position and the game. Um, so yeah, and it, and it just seemed like <laughs> not just other teams. He seemed like he didn't take a lot of shit. Because I remember uh, when he was with, I think it was what it was, Pittsburgh, and he like walked out of the game and like just because like they said something to him, something happened. He like, all right, well, cool. I'm gonna go sit on the bus, and then was on like another team a couple of days. I think that might have been when he went to New England. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that like so, to have that kind of pull is impressive. That like, look, I ain't taking y'all shit. I ain't taking the player shit. I just be out, and I'm gonna go to a championship team. All right, bet. <laughs> yeah, no, there was no better feeling than getting him back. Um, but yeah, no, Laguerre Blunt. So that ends my list. That's that's my full top five. So I'll read it over again. I had Chris Johnson, DeMarco Murray, Marshawn Lynch, Maurice Jones-Drew, LeGarrette Blunt. That that ends me for running backs. Odie, go ahead and end it for you. This is going to be a shocker to you guys because I doubt you guys even – he probably did – his name probably didn't even come close to coming up when you're thinking about from – but when you think about since he's been in the league, and you said from 2010, he, he came in maybe a few years after that. But he's probably the only running back who was in the league for as many years as he's been in the league, I think maybe eight, seven or eight, who never was RB1, never was the focal point running back, and always played with on a team with one to two other running backs that you can say maybe they are RB1 and he consistently turns out thousand yard seasons sneakily Kevin Coleman ah. in Atlanta consistently turned out thousand yard seasons one of the fastest running backs in the league that everybody forgets to mention because you know, he's not the RB1 when you're talking about the fastest running backs. You usually go to RB1s. And he was behind Steven Jackson. He was behind the now running back. Uh, Freeman. Freeman, which I should know his name off the top of my head because he's from Florida State. <laughs> In San Francisco, he was considered RB1, but everybody was still talking about Matt Frieda and the other boy. And yet and still, he was the most consistent running back in San Francisco. And until he got hurt, they had San Francisco running away with it. Remember, San Francisco didn't lose until he got hurt. Yeah. They didn't lose until he got hurt. And the offense took a major hit to where they had to go out and sign Emmanuel Sanders in the trade. You know what I'm saying? Like, they was like, oh, we need some other weapon. And we can't get a running back because there ain't no weapons out there that somebody's going to trade at running back, and we don't have the assets for that. Let's find somebody who can be an asset that wants to get out of their situation. And it was Emmanuel Sanders. But he has been, even with having the injuries he had in Atlanta, he still would miss one, maybe two games and was running on a bad will for the – whole season with the ankle issues. 
He has been consistent, bro. Consistent. Catching the ball, running the ball, all that, to where you don't even, if you go look up the stats right now, you're like, damn, he ran 5,000 that year, and that year, and that year, and that year. He has been, like, I honestly one of my favorite running backs since he's been in the league. Like, I could argue for him all day long. Um, I'm not a Atlanta fan, but I discovered him playing Madden. And he was only ranked a 79 <laughs> when he first came in the league, but his speed was a 96. You always put the fastest guy in the field in Matt. Oh, um, let me say this really quick. Let me say this really quick because this is for all you novice Madden players because I see so many people uh, say this, and I watch so many Madden leagues, and I'm used to Odie beating me in Madden in 2K literally every day. One thing no one pays attention to in Madden is if his overall is 79 and his speed is like 96, 97, and you put the 86 over him and his speed is like 84, you're going to lose nine times out of ten. <laughs> you put the speedy guy in. Just because his overall isn't high does not mean that his speed is invaluable. You take the speed every time. So that's what – when I'm watching these Madden leagues and I'm seeing people do substitutions, I'm like, oh, you put him in because his overall's higher. But he's so slow. Like, <laughs> you have a speedy receiver on your bench and you just took him out. And I see people that when they make that right substitution to put the speed in over overall, they're good. They're going. They do it with receivers. They do it with running backs. Um, and it was, like you just said, through Madden, seeing someone take someone with a low overall – the high speed as a receiver. And I'm watching this guy dart past people, and I'm like, oh, my God, I never thought of it like that. Because you think overall is everything, right? So if he's only a 76, that means, you know, he's kind of okay at everything. But when I saw that speed, I was like, God, okay. All right, I now know how to play that now, okay. All right, but I'm sorry, go ahead. And, and what, I, what I want people to listen to when I say the 1,000 yards, I'm not just talking about rushing. He's a do-all back. Right. You have to add, add the receiving and stuff like that. His rushing, he, the most rushing he's had was 800. And that was in 2018 with Atlanta, his last year. But overall, touching the 1,000 yards, adding the receiving yards and things like that is what – I'm referring to when I'm talking about these things. So, um, like Darren Sproles, just the overall back, but he's more of a, you think of him as a running, running back as well. So that's what I'm mentioning. And his, his ability to change the forecast of a game with one run. I remember with Atlanta, they were struggling in some games. He get one run. Bust out 40 yards, and then it just changed the whole momentum of the game. So that's why Tevin Campbell is like – and I'm big on college football, so uh, I always uh, can tell you, like, how dominant somebody was in college. And at Indiana, he was, like, one of those underrated players that most people didn't pay attention to that they should have. Yeah, no, I like the pick. I like the pick a lot. That was a solid five you had, Odie, uh, leading off with AP. I mean, you, you can't go wrong right after that. You lead off with AP, it's it's smooth sailing uh, the rest of the way. But, Dom, your final pick as we get out of running backs. Um, my final pick's kind of weird. Um, but I think it's uh, – I like him because he's a um, 
a good lunch pail running back. He's going to last a long time, do what he's supposed to do, be consistent. He just happened to be on um, the Buccaneers, but that's D- Doug Martin. Yeah. Um, All reliable. Yeah, I mean, he he's like that, that prototype of like, he may not be like the uh, the fastest, but he's fast enough. May not have the best hands, but it's good enough. He may not, you know, be the biggest, but he can block. And that was the guy you want that, like, come, you're going to, like, know. The quarterbacks don't know, like, hey, he's got me. I'm not going to get hit. And, um, yeah, he just had, he's had a weird – college career was weird. Uh, well, weird team, at least. And then uh, just, yeah, he had a, has a solid career. Uh, I don't even – is he even playing anymore? Because once yeah. you go yeah. – is he? No. I think okay. so. Yeah. So, they just uh, had the other running back they was giving more carries. That's so. right. That's right. Um, so yeah, it's you know, he doesn't get talked about a lot, but most of the, the lunch pair running backs don't. Um but you see that they usually have long careers when uh you don't have to rely on that just speed or you know, running over people because it, it's not gonna last very long. Yeah, no, I like Doug Martin a lot. I like him a lot. I think uh, that team would have done a lot better if Jameis Winston didn't have the Brett Favre disease. Sorry, Dom, <laughs> yeah. but there's just so many gunslingers that it's like they close their eyes and they fling it, man. Um, Jameis Winston might be the only player that we will ever <laughs> see lead the league in yards and in interceptions. Like it was just, it was, it was unheard of. It's what, how? But when you think about it, it's like, well. Think about it. For every for every catch, one of them had to have been an interception. He just flings it. Um, so, I mean, if they kind of just relied on Doug Martin a little bit more than Jameis Winston's arm, they, they could have squeezed in a playoff spot. But, yeah, no, I like that. All right, let's do this a little differently for the next category. We're going to give all of our five. Uh, and then we'll just kind of dissect from the five that we pick. Um, all right, so next up is all uh, quarterback. From 2010 to 2019, my list is a list I think you guys can get behind. Number one, Russell Wilson. Number two, Andrew Luck. Number three, Cam Newton. Number four, Tony Romo. And number five, at a shocking uh, submission at number five, he's my favorite quarterback today. Uh, That's why I'm like, I hope they screw things up down there in Texas and we get them next year. And that's good old Deshaun Watson. Uh, that boy is filthy. I'll never forget, Dom. I was actually podcasting that night. I'll never forget that game beginning of uh, this past season against the Saints where he clearly won the game for him right before the three <laughs> came right back. Um, I'm like, yo, Deshaun Watson is a bad man. And because he's not flashy like Patrick, or he's not as elusive as um, what's his name in in Baltimore. Um, no one really talks about him that much, right? Because we look at the Texans and we're like, you're the laughing stock. You do make it to the playoffs, but then you get embarrassed, right? Um, but I look at it and I go, Deshaun Watson. If he's on any other team, any other franchise, we're looking at him completely different. Uh, that's why I'm like, fingers crossed. Come to New England next year. <laughs> We're going to get you right. We're going to get you a chip. Uh, and we'll get your name up there, kid. Um, but, yeah, so, again, Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, Romo, Deshaun Watson. That's my top five. Odie, I'll start with you. Is there anything out of that top five list that sounds sketchy for me to have there? 
Um, the only one that I would take out is Deshaun Watson, only because he hasn't been in the league long enough to be on the decade team like yeah. that. Like that's the only reason. Um, not because of his skills or what he's doing. It's just his uh, how long he's been there. Fair. I just he's my favorite quarterback, man. <laughs> like I just love to watch him play. So I'm like, I'm gonna put him on there, but. For anyone, uh, when y'all li- when uh, our fans listen to this or watch this, if you guys are confused at why I have Tony Romo in there, just look at the numbers. <laughs> just look at the numbers. Um, like, I know if you listen to Stephen A. Smith uh, or, or uh, Shannon Sharp, it seems fun to, to pick on the, the Cowboys. But Tony Romo was no joke. Uh, if you take away that Seattle game where he muffled the, the, uh, the PAT, um, Tony Romo has legit numbers. Um, and the first thing I think of when I think of Romo was that shootout against Peyton Manning uh, up in Dallas uh, where they went into the 40s. That was before the, uh, the Rams and the Chiefs made it look hot. Romo and Peyton was going at it. Um, and I'm just – I've always been interested in, like, how, how he progressed himself, even with all those injuries, how good Tony Romo really was. Um, and I shouldn't have to defend Russell Wilson or Andrew Luck or Cam Newton. All you Cam Newton haters, I say this, and this is the only time, Uncle Otis, I will give credence to what you said to me a few weeks ago. If you've never played the game, don't come after Cam Newton about that Super Bowl performance. Uh, Because I know a lot of people that are just mechanics, that if you went to an all-time mechanic uh, award show or something like that and you had to completely take apart a car, You'd mess up because the pressure would get to you. And ultimately, the pressure just got to Cam. But what we have to remember is Von Miller that year was a bad man. Um, and it is, it is not bad <laughs> that Von Miller made you look like a child. He did it to a lot of people. Um, so I don't hold that against them, Odie. Um, I still think Cam's numbers from his rookie year all the way to, obviously, when he got hurt speaks for itself. It, it really does. And so does Andrew Luck. Um, so that's my five. Odie, what's yours? Uh, and I forgot you said Andrew Luck, and, and that would be the only other discrepancy because of his years. That's it. Numbers-wise, he didn't play that long. Remember, he was hurt for two, of the, two out of five years he was in the league. No, I thought he was in the league for six or seven years. It may have been six, but I know he only played, I think, like three and a half years. Um, something like that. I'm not sure. We can look it up, but go ahead, go ahead, go ahead with your pick, though. Go ahead with your pick. Um. So I just want everybody to know because we're saying these names and you're not hearing some names that we had to exclude Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, <laughs> and Drew Brees. Okay. Right. So, um, my five is Russell Wilson, Philip Rivers. Matt Stafford, as much people hate him. I agree with you. Alex Smith and Eli Manning. Consistently over those years. Oh, he won the championship. Ironman. Um, statistically, um, I know that some people uh, will want to argue, let's see, I, everybody on my list really could be a controversy, but Keep in mind this, that 
if you want to argue Eli Manning because of interceptions and stuff like this, he still did the numbers that he did without receivers and without an offensive line. Granted, he had uh, a lot of interceptions, but he was throwing to players who wouldn't even make practice squads on a lot of NFL teams. So he's he's being debated for first ballot Hall of Fame. So you can't argue him. So please don't argue him, fans. Alex Smith, don't argue him, please, because for three teams, he has done it. He is not the most flashy quarterback. He's not the quarterback who you're like, yeah, I need Alex Smith on my team. Uh, no, sorry. I would take Alex Smith over a lot of quarterbacks in the league right now with the weapons that they have and feel very confident that I'm going to get a Super Bowl because he's going to, with the so-called game management, that game man- game management leads to wins, and he's proven it. It's just that he hasn't had a team besides the San Francisco, and he got hurt, people remember that. And the one year where he wasn't hurt, and they lost to my Giants. It was a rookie returner who lost the game, not Alex Smith, because Alex Smith was supposed to have the ball in his hands to put the game away, to manage the game the way he does. But on a punt return, the boy, I think his last name was Smith, fumbled the ball. My Giants got it scored. That was it. Um, Matt Stafford. Man, listen. Matt Stafford and Calvin Johnson had the Barry Sanders curse, which is you played for the Lions. You put Matt Stafford on any other NFL team that we say were in the playoffs or whatever, and I guarantee you playoff-bound teams, consistent playoff teams, he would have a championship by now. He has one of the strongest arms ever. Does he force a lot and try and make the big plays and stuff like that? Yeah, and I would too if I played for the Lions. I'm forcing it. I'm trying to be the hero every single time because uh, who else is going to do it? Um, I didn't put – I know I didn't say Cam Newton. The only reason I didn't say Cam Newton is because Cam Newton has had um, two great years, one horrible year consistently out of that span. He'll go, he'll give you two, have you in your feelings about, oh man, they can't say nothing about black quarterbacks, then he'll come back the next year and you're like, oh man, he's still on vacation. Um, (laughs) So that's why he didn't make it. Uh, Tony Romo didn't make it only because uh, he is uh, can't win big games. That's it. Hey, he won some big games. I give it to him. He choked up against the Seahawks. He choked up in the playoffs. Statistically, regular season, one of the best to ever do it. But not being able to win the big games in the regular season will also be a downfall of his as well. Um, For the years they did miss the playoffs, it was him making the mistakes. Uh, And that Seattle game, it was all on him. It was all on him. Like, uh, a lot of games, it was all on him. Um, the year that DeMarco Murray was there, he ran for 2,000 yards. In uh, the playoffs, who they put the ball in the hands of? And what happened? 
So it's moments like that to where I had to like, you got to take a backseat to, to these other uh, people. Um, Mahomes didn't make it because of how many years he's been in the league. Hence why Deshaun Watson didn't make it. They've been in the league around the same amount of time. I think Deshaun Watson came in the same year, as a matter of fact. It's just that he played right off the bat, home set a year behind Alex. Right. Um, and I did mention Phillip Rivers. Bro, he just never had a defense. And then right and then, he did one year, and that's when we came in and we we spanked that bottom. But that was his best defense ever. And timeout, I will argue, not this year, but the year before, they had a really good defense. Problem oh, was, Chiefs are in his division. Listen, from 2010, we're talking about. From yeah. 2010 on, yeah, he he's had one good year. But what happened that good year with? defense and this this happens to him it's like a curse this was like a curse with the charges his best receivers seem to always get hurt at the end of the season and they are not there for him in the playoffs okay so when you take when you take these six six receivers off the field and now he has to throw to five ten receivers it takes away their whole offensive game plan which is and he said it in plenty of interviews if you want to stop us Go get you some 6-1 DBs because all I'm doing is dropping back, sending them downfield, and throwing a jump ball. And that's exactly what they did if you watch the game. <laughs> throw a jump ball. But um, for the most awkward throw I've ever seen, which is like half sidearm, half overhand, and it's not even like a full throwing motion. It's like a shot put. Like, uh, he was one. He's the best to ever do, do that shit. Uh so that's why he was up there. I left Ben Roethlisberger off because of his rape allegations. I feel like that should not be overlooked. And um, I'm not a fan of his because of that, because, uh, you know, you'll have a quarterback, not even a quarterback, you'll have a black player in the league, and he's being accused of uh, drunken intoxication and gets suspended for four games. But this man has – two, not one, two rape allegations that he wasn't found not guilty on. They said the accuser retracted their statement after a sealed settlement. Right. So right there by default, he comes off of every list I have and he should be treated just like all these basketball players and football players of African-American descent or Sammy Sosa or any of those baseball players who Alex Rodriguez, where you have to question whether they should be in the Hall of Fame because of things that happened in their career. Okay, you may have cheated. A lot of people cheat. They just don't get caught. But rape, you understand what I'm saying? Like, when you think about all the backlash that Kobe Bryant got. And to this day, a lot of people still give him backlash and won't forget it. And he was found not guilty. Right. He went through the whole process during the season where he was doing phenomenal in the NBA. It's not a distraction because I know I'm innocent. And then you go to this guy two years in a row. You're accused of the exact same crime, the exact same way, 
and you're not prosecuted. I'm yeah. sorry. They they didn't let other people's cases go when witnesses recanted their statement and accusers recanted their statement. The police still wanted to go after these high-profile black people, but with this guy, I don't know. We're going to leave him alone. It said a lot to me, and I despise a lot about this man just because of that. You can talk stats all you want to me about him. I don't give two shits. His stats mean nothing to me. You're a rapist, my man. And you don't deserve to have the stats that you have. So everything from the first rate on those stats have an asterisk next to it, and I don't count them towards your career. So that's why he's off. Sorry to go a little deep on that. Matt Ryan's off because he has had four bad seasons. Uh, well, two bad seasons. Um, but Russell Wilson made a list. Obviously, he's uh, – I honestly was not a fan. I was a – Doubt slash hater Russell Wilson. I felt like he was a one-trick pony, run around, throw the ball downfield. But <laughs> surprisingly, it works. <laughs> surprisingly, and I felt like he was getting all that credit when the credit should have went to the defensive shit. But surprisingly, this dude is what he they say he is, and he's consistent with it. So, my man, welcome. You got Sierra. One of the best in the industry, looks wise, and you got to uh, you made my top five. Congratulations, my man! Yeah, I, <laughs> wife makes my top five, you make my top five. All women over there. <laughs> I would say, I, I would say, Matt Stafford, I like that you put him on there. I wanted to put him on there, but I, I went with my heart with Deshaun. But, um, Matt Stafford and Calvin Johnson to me are the NFL equivalent of what Penny Hardaway and Shaq were. Um, you just had two people that were just – when they were playing together, they were unstoppable. They were unstoppable. They were, I saw Calvin Johnson have four DBs on him and caught it like it was nothing. I was like, what did the, what did the DBs even do? Like, what do you do? And it's like, man, there's nothing you could do. You try guarding him. I can't do this shit, man. Um, so, real quick, I just, I just remember when I scrolled down my list. Um you know who else could have made the list based off the stats, but um, I call him the younger new generation Tony Romo, and now he plays for the same team as Andy Dalton. You can't win the big game, so you can't make my list. They have basically the same type of career. You are dominant during the regular season, and then once the playoff comes, where are you at, my man? Did, did somebody put a stunt devil in your uniform? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, would argue, I would argue Dalton is far from Romo's numbers. But, yeah, no. I, look, if he takes over for the Cowboys, he will be baby Romo. He will end his career there, and he will probably have the same exact – You, you want to know what's crazy? Look up his numbers. It's not that far off of Tony Romo. <laughs> Google it while Dom's talking and you're going to be surprised let me say this before you go Dom let me say this the only one I would argue Odie is Eli only because and the only reason why I'm like alright I give it to him to make to make uh, the list is because in the year that we're starting with he won the Super Bowl so it's like you can't not count that he won the Super Bowl in the exact year I'm starting with um, but after that and look, I'm not arguing. I get it. No defense. The defense dwindled after that. The receivers completely dwindled after that. 
but he consistently did not make the playoffs. Uh, I think he made one playoff, and that was when Odell thought it was smart to uh, take that very gay photo shoot out in uh, out in Miami to to uh, before they played you, Dom. Before they played you, um, so I mean, that's that's the only thing. But again, he won the Super Bowl. And you want to know? You want to know? You want to know? what's crazy about that, Jawan? Um, without making the playoffs in those years, he was still in the top <laughs> five to six in the NFL's quarterback statistically. No, I believe it. Eli's – here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the stigma Eli gets. He's not a bad quarterback. I just don't ever put him in the tier with the Breeze, the Bradys, and the Mannings. But whatever the reason, second tier is, I think he belongs there. I just The, re- I the reason why people do that, that, the reason why people do that is strictly based off of his interceptions. But it's a video on YouTube. I'll find it and send to you later where um, some sports, like uh, – historians break down those interceptions and they're not his fault because if it when you're when you're looking at it and this is probably why like I can speak on it a lot more than a lot of people because it's my team so you you know I'm consistently watching like you can speak on a player on your team a little bit more than me although our opinions matter is because I watched a play run with Odell, Sterling Shepard, and um, you mentioned his name earlier. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Brandon. Uh, Brandon Marshall. Marshall. When those were our core three, right, and they all were on the field at the same time, they ran routes. And then I look at later on in the season. When all three are hurt and there's three receivers on the field running the exact same route against the exact same defense, and these receivers cut totally different. And the ball is thrown to where exactly the quarterback is supposed to throw the ball against that defense. And had the receiver run correctly, the defense wouldn't have been in place to intercept the ball. And you're like, Eli during the game, but then they broke down his film, and I'm like, God damn. Like, no running back, no offensive line. Let's be serious. The offensive line ain't been shit. The second Super Bowl we won, that was a glued-together offensive line. The first Super Bowl we won against you guys, that was our only offensive line in his career that you could say was a great start offensive line. Then you have no defense to stop anybody. Realize in them years – the first shootout, I know you was talking about a shootout. Do you remember the shootout between him and Breeze? When we I was had just about to say, no wait, hold on, Odie. I had Odell Beckham in my fantasy football league that year, and I remember looking at my phone like, how many points? Eli threw how many touchdowns? I was like, oh, sh- <laughs> oh my God, what? Against Breeze? But look, like, that, that's, not even, that's not even the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about the very next year when he didn't have the receivers in the game and it still was a shootout. Go look it up. It's like, um, even with the mistakes, he still keeps the team in the game. Like, there's not many blowouts where you can say, oh, man, Eli blew that game. The Giants got blown out until Odell and all the receivers was hurt. Like, 
the year before, and even the year when we went 0-7 until we played the Vikings, or 0-8 or something like that. Like, we had no wins. And you look at that season, none of the games were blowouts. Our defense was just giving up the game-winning touchdowns at the end of the game. So I'll, even with the mistakes, he's keeping you in the game. I'll say even, that I've always viewed him as a tier two. Um, him and Stafford, they're very turnover-prone. Only thing is, like, I look at it like this. They've had some doozies of a season. Like, they've both had, had seasons where you're kind of like, oof, yikes. Um, but I get you. It's If you watch football, you know nine times out of ten, interceptions usually – um, are more so on the receiver than it is the quarterback. Um, you don't make it to the pros when you could just openly throw it to a DB and it's like five yards off from your receiver. Usually that means he ran the route wrong. Um, so I get you. I, it's not at the feet of the quarterback all the time. I say that with almost 80% of Brady's interceptions. If he threw an interception, it's because you weren't where you were supposed to be. Um, <laughs> that's exactly how I view it. Um, so I understand you. And, and like I said, Matthew Stafford, if Matthew Stafford had a Super Bowl with Calvin Johnson, he would be a Hall of Famer. Probably not first ballot, but he would be a Hall of Famer. Um, the numbers they put up were just stupid. Um, Eli, to me, isn't a first ballot, but he is a Hall of Famer. You can't wipe away those two Super Bowls. And they were on great runs. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, Dom, I know it hasn't hurt you. On both runs, he went through Green Bay. <laughs> so it's like both runs I think once it was far once it was A-Rod um, yeah. so the Giants earned those two Super Bowls as much as I like to remind people Brady lost those two Super Bowls after <clears throat> excuse me potential game winning drives um, and the defense lost both of those Super Bowls for Brady gotta give it to Eli man you gotta give it to him because he easily could have folded in that first Super Bowl uh, that pressure could have got to him. Having eight D, uh, eight uh, linemen tackle you and you escape it to throw that ball is not easy to do. Ask Cam what he did when Von Miller came around that corner. Just one guy. Not a whole pile. Just one guy. One guy. He folded. So I give, I give him a lot of respect, and this is something I will never repeat again, but I give him a lot of respect. He is a Hall of Famer in my opinion, just not a first ballot. Um, but he definitely deserves Look at this. The year. The year they won the Super Bowl, you know what he threw? 25 interceptions. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it, Odie. Yeah, that's it. Like, but, <laughs> I but believe I'm going I'm to I'm I'm read two stats to you, right? Mm-hmm. And then I want you to – every quarterback that was in the league from 2014 to 2019, what, the research I just want you to do, and then next week when we do our podcast, for the first two minutes, I want you to tell me about these stats, right? Yards, 57,023 yards. Touchdowns, 366, right? And then I want you to tell me every quarterback in those years, even his brother, where his yards and touchdowns compare to that, right? And then... Completion percentage, 60.3. His record broke even. But 
even the year when he threw 25 interceptions, he threw 31 touchdowns. The only year where you can really get down on him about interception to touchdown ratio would be that 2013 year. It was 27 touch uh, interceptions, 18 touchdowns. But that's also that's also the year that everybody was hurt. No, look, I get you. That's I the get year you. where uh, what's name was completely not on the field at all. His only receiver that he had coming into that season, which was uh, Mr. Saucer himself. No, look, yeah, it seemed like a, <laughs> the Giants have the worst luck in the offseason. Like, I, every time I watch them preseason, I'm like, why are you playing these players? Because every year, one of the top players get hurt in preseason. Like, game two, game, game one, game two. And I'm just like, yeah, y'all got to – I think – I mean, I guess that's why they cutting the preseason down because of that, because that, that's terrible. Because I remember one of the years um, where, you know, all the talk was like Giants, Giants. And then first preseason game, they lose two receivers. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, they just <laughs> can't do nothing. Yeah. No, and look, I just – I, I what, what, what I find funny is, like, when someone's telling their kids or their grandkids 20 years from now about those two runs the Giants had uh, in 07 and then in 2010, just just saying, like, what his stats were in those two Super Bowl winning years, and then your kids being like, oh, no way they got to the Super Bowl. No, they did. <laughs> Both years. <laughs> Both and years, that, little Jimmy. That, look, the <laughs> the other year, 23 touchdowns, 20 interceptions. And you're the Super Bowl MVP. You get what I'm saying? So, like, so, like, oh, that's that where... is so, that is, like, that gets his numbers, if not for that game-changing defense, those are the kind of numbers that gets a head coach fired. <laughs> like, those, those are you telling me you're starting quarterback through <laughs> – Oh my god. Oh man. Um no, but I, I will say um Tom Coughlin for Eli was as good as Jim Caldwell for Matt Stafford. Um Matt Stafford's best numbers if you look it up was under Jim Caldwell. Um Jim Caldwell was like a a a whisperer for Matthew Stafford. Unfortunately, Matthew Stafford's biggest problem is you're in the same division as Aaron Rodgers. So it's like <laughs> you are probably getting in wild card if that every year. Um so again, I don't blame that on Matthew Stafford, but I, I like your list, Odie. So I, I just looked up Peyton, right? If you have to take and you can either I don't care which end you take it from because his yards were always the same. Mm-hmm. If you take the years off and you just add the same amount of years that uh, his brother was in the league. So let me see. Four years. So you got to go one, two, three, four. You're talking about he only has 10,000 more yards than him. With the offenses that he had, if you want to talk about the interceptions, his brother finished with 251 career interceptions. Well, to be fair, to be fair, Odie, Majority of Peyton's uh, turnovers came his first two or three years, where he was just throwing them. To like, be fair, nothing. no, 
his most 28 his first year. After that, it dwindled down and he had 123, right? But in his later years, he was in the high teens. I'm looking at it. He I was in the high teens. I would believe it. What, his Denver years? He, he was his Denver yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, his last years with the Colts was his teen years. Like his last two years, 16 and 17. In Denver, his last two years, 15 and 17. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but what I'm saying is just imagine that Peyton Manning, no matter which end you take from. Now, mind you, I took it from his first couple years with the Colts, and I left his almost 6,000-yard season, which was with Denver, on there as adding those stats. You're talking about only 10,000, around 10,000 more yards than his brother and think about the offense he had for 11, 10 years out of his 14, well, out, it, out of his 17, 13 years was with the Colts. And in them 13 years, no quarterback threw more yards. Can I he say was at 54. Can I give you a quick hot take before I pass it to Dom to give his, to give his five quarterbacks? I think Peyton Manning is the greatest regular season quarterback of all time. I do find his postseason to be very fluky. The year he won it against the, uh, I think he beat, who did he beat, the Saints? No, uh, the Bears. The first year he won it with the Colts against the Bears. We have to remember, he played a Mark Sanchez-led Jets to get to the Super Bowl and then played a Rex Grossman-led Bears. Albeit, you, Otis, you know this, you know this well, you play who's on the field. So you can't take that away from him. Then I want to remind people his second championship, because he only finished his career with two, was when Von Miller and that defense dragged him to the Super Bowl. And he was dinking and dunking to get there. Because what we forget is that year where they put up all those numbers, Seattle came in and embarrassed them. Embarrassed them. They made Peyton look like he should retire. That's how bad that Super Bowl was. That's why when people tell me, the Rams versus the Patriots was boring. I was like, well, what were you doing watching the C Seattle Seahawks demolish the Broncos? They had like eight points. So, but to me, I, I always look at it and I'm kind of like, I think we give Peyton a lot of credit for his postseason. And it's not that good. It's not that good, honestly. Um, so, I mean, I find Eli's postseason uh, stretches to be more impressive. He literally came from the dirt. He's a trap rapper. He was a SoundCloud rapper <laughs> that became Drake. That's what Eli was. That's what Eli became. Um, so to me, that's more impressive because he went from the dirt and they, they climbed their way up to winning those two Super Bowls. Um, so I respect Eli's travel uh, to championships more than I respect uh, Peyton's. Tom Brady is only um, – he's been in the league since 2000, so I'm looking at it. Eli's been in since 2004. If you take, he had 4,000 yards in 2003, 2002, he had 4,000 yards. In 2001, he had 3,000 yards. And his first year in 2000, he only had six yards. We're not going to count that. Uh, but if you take the four, the four, and the three, that gives you 11,000 yards, right? Take 11,000 yards off of 74,571, you put them at 63,000. That's 10,000 more than Eli. You get what I'm saying? So he was consistently 
competing with all these players, and that's where, like, I go to bat for him. He gets cussed out by me more than anybody else for being, like, the most Down syndrome quarterback I've ever known with no emotion. Like, as soon as he comes on the screen, you just think, he has autism. No, and it's not a joke towards kids or autism or anything, but I always thought, like, he had, like, the autism because he just has that demeanor in his face. Nothing, no happiness or no sadness, no mad, no nothing. It was just ridiculous. Annoyed the hell out of me. Hey, to but, be fair, he matched his head coach. Tom Coughlin didn't change his emotion. <laughs> nothing. Tom, Tom Coughlin was a maniac. Maniac. Yeah. Liz, a maniac. But, like, I, I just bring that – I just bring that up to bring up the fact that um, these top quarterbacks that everybody's naming from Eli Manning's uh, era um, are hands down the greatest quarterbacks the NFL seen, but also had the greatest offensive weapons during that era as well. And I'm not saying Eli Manning would have been Tom Brady. But good God, give me the offense he had when they went uh, 17 and up and was chased 18 and up. Give me the offensive lines that they've had over the years. You know what I'm saying? With Breeze, the weapons he's had. How many people can say they had Darren Sproles? They had Michael Thomas. They had, they had who? Reggie Bush. They had uh, Camaro. They had the tight ends that he's had. Um, yeah, yeah, Jimmy he had Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham. He had Tony uh, Gonzalez. <laughs> Wasn't he with the Saints at one point, time, Tony Gonzalez? Yeah, I, I think for a year. I think for a year. I could be. Yeah, he, he's had. Who was the quarterback before uh, before Michael Thomas, the receiver? Um, Oof, I don't even remember. Oh yes, he was tall. I thought Michael Thomas was him because uh, remember he was slow and big like that. Last it started with a C or something like that. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I can't I'm about to look at it right now. Look it up while Dom gives his uh while Dom goes into his top five. Uh so my five, um similar similar. I have uh Philip Post- Rivers. Sorry, Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Each um, he had. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, Philip Rivers, I mean, he's probably one of the most consistent ever. It's just weird that, like, if you look back at all his losses, especially over the past couple of years, it's always, like, the last drive of the game, the defense can't stop anybody. Like, every game they're in the fourth quarter, it's like, oh, have a chance to win, and, oh, wait, the defense is terrible again. Um, next, I had uh, Stafford. I mean – and Matt Stafford, if you like Brett Favre, you like Matt Stafford. Very similar playing styles. R- willing to risk it. Uh, it just happens that, like you said, it's in Detroit. Yeah. This is what do you, what do, you do? Um, and I have Russell Wilson. Uh, I feel the same way. I thought he was going to be uh, initially a bust. I was like, like, he's literally running backwards 10 yards. He's playing, it's like playing Madden, and you're really not that good at it. So you run backwards 10 yards, spin around, run to the left, run to the right, and just press Y because he's wide open. That's what it felt like at first. I was like, this dude is not going to make it. He looks like a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah then it worked. And now it's like he's getting into that um, that comfortability that Drew Brees being similar heights is, is getting uh, 
has always had in the past years. Um, then I had Cam Newton. Um, I'm still waiting on Cam to to peak because I feel like he, at least at least to me over the past couple years, he just seemed like mentally he was not all the way part of that team. Like you can tell, like his demeanor where he tried to be positive because that's the kind of guy he is, but he just seemed kind of defeated. And I don't know if it was related to a coach or maybe just the area itself. Um, I mean, he I- seems like he's better spirits now, but um, yeah, it's hard to tell with him because he's a little guarded, especially because he's always getting criticized when he speaks out. So he's just like, I guess I'll just, you know, lay low, get better. Now I see his Instagram. He out here. Yoked up, you know what I'm saying? I need to see I mean, him. look, I tell you this, Dom. <laughs> I tell you this. For everyone that thinks Cam doesn't have it anymore, and, and I was reading the report from one of our beat, uh, one of the Patriots beat writers who said don't rule out Cam and Bill uh, teaming up together before the actual start of the season. If Cam goes to the Bears or the Patriots, those two teams wins the Super Bowl. That's how <laughs> confident I am in Cam Newton. Because you look at the Bears, that defense, stacked. Their receiving core, solid. Remember, Cam went to the Super Bowl without a solid, like a legit receiving core. Um, so I'm like, Allen Robinson and, and Gabriel and those guys, Cam can do it. Julian Edelman, Nikhil Harry, uh, Muhammad Sanu, uh, Cam can do it. Uh, Bill Belichick and that defense behind him, Cam can do it. So if he goes to the Bears or the Patriots, I'm saying it right now, either one of those teams is, is representing the NFC or the AFC in the Super Bowl. Whether they win it, uh, that's that's for a, a different uh, a different time. But he'll lead them there for sure, for sure. That's how confident yeah. I am in Cam Newton. He he's not done yet, man. Um, my last one is he's kind of a at least the people I know they joke on him all the time when I bring him up. Um, I think that he he he's kind of fallen off the past couple of years, and I and I don't know. I can't speak on really to what it is. I, I can't read him. Um, but he always found a way to to win games. The offense wasn't flashy a lot of the times. He did have a good defense. Um, but Joe Flacco, man, I feel like people, like, literally always, like, he's a punching bag. But, like, I think he's a good quarterback, man. I've always thought he – uh, and, and a little bit of it was biased at first because I was um, – I'd always root for the Ravens uh, in the AFC. So, of course, since he's on the Ravens, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm going to learn to like this guy. But then I was like, the offense is one of the least flashy offenses I've watched in a long time. It's like – well, I'm talking about, like, throughout that big chunk when they were on the, those runs, it was a lot of, oh, we need to dump it to the tight end. It's tight end, tight end. I'm out. Uh-uh, Dom, because you got to remember, man, as, as a Patriots fan, that's who we were losing to all those years. I'm going to tell you right now. No, no. Well, this, is, this is how they were flashy. They had someone by the name of Anquan Bolden that you didn't true. need to do much <laughs> to throw it up, and he was bringing it in for you. That's flashy. And remember, homeboy that was their, um, their kick returner, that uh, remember against that game in Denver uh, where he caught the Hail Mary to, to win the game? Yeah, his name. He was nice for like a year or two, but like they had some flashy receivers. And then don't don't forget, even though the league wants you to forget about him, 
They had that homie named Ray Rice in that backfield <laughs> right, uh, right. eating up them yards. So it was flashy. It just wasn't like how you'll see Aaron Rodgers throw a 40-yarder uh, that just looks beautiful. Like Flacco right. wasn't like that. But that offense, Anquan Bolden, I ain't going to let you get away with that, Dom. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I, I know because I've been a Ravens fan for a long time. Right, and the and the way that they always end up doing is they're like a very power eye, traditional like we got a tight end, he gonna block a little bit, but we gonna like ten yard passes, these ends, run some outs, run a little posting, but then run the ball like we always had a big backfield. Um, but I think Flacco was a very good game manager. He didn't lose games. You know, they may have lost, but he wasn't out there throwing consistent interceptions and to where they were – you could blame him for the, the, the loss. Because um, if you really look at the Ravens, they really haven't had, like, super terrible seasons in a long time. And part of that is – part of it is the defense because it's, it's Ravens. Like, just like the Steelers, if the team has a shitty defense, they're not that team no more, so they have to keep that up. But um, I think Flock always was decent now. He's the punching bag, and he's getting moved around everywhere. Um, but yeah, I think I think he uh, I think he deserves to be up there. Okay, so just name, run them off real quick. You have five again. It was Rivers. Um, not look again. Cam. Rivers, Cam, uh, Russell, and Matt Stafford, and. I'm missing. Did I say Flip Rivers? Oh, or, or I guess Joe. Yeah. I guess Joe Flacco. Okay, so I think it's not a knock. I don't have nothing bad to say about him, but I think the reason why Cam won't make a lot of people's five is because he has the same issue that Warren Moon had. That's who he reminds me of. And when I say this is, if you look back, Warren Moon was one of the best quarterbacks in the league, period, with the Houston Oilers, right? Mm -hmm. But he didn't have the teams to beat up on the other good quarterbacks in the league when he faced them. So the year that he did, when the Oilers went on the run that they did, it mimics Cam Newton's run that year. And then he has some off-season stuff like that. So, talently, he should be there. But because of the consistency of the numbers and because it's a team sport, which sucks, you know what I'm saying? Like, you have to factor it in a little bit. But I just feel like he's just caught the shitty end of a stick because you've had a dominant – front seven defense your whole time there for the most part, your back four or your back five hasn't been that good on your defense, except the one year where Josh Norman, which people forget in his like 12th year already, finally made a splash because some great defensive coordinator that they just stupidly uh, let go or stopped listening to what he had to say, decided, hey, with the, our corner size and their lack of speed and how much they like to jump routes 
in man-to-man -man coverage, let's run a cover two all season and let them jump those routes because it's somebody behind them to help out. They have a breakout season. They going undefeated. They doing the, uh, what was the dance they was doing uh, the whole year? The dad, the whole season and stuff. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that was, it's sad to say, I think the Giants exposed them, and that's what helped them get the brakes beat off of them in the playoffs because, uh, oh, y'all want to run a cover two? Okay, we'll run a cover two fade right behind that corner that's jumping on that daggone hitch route. And your safety ain't going to get there in time because we're running a legit tight end up the middle of the field. Odell Beckham threw that game for us because his head wasn't in it. But that game went down to our defense losing the game again that year. Um, we're giving up the last second touchdown. But um, Flacco. Mm. Flacco. Uh, I can't. That's the. This is the first time me and you are gonna have a disagreement, now. Um, <laughs> I can't see you putting Flacco on the list over Alex Smith only because Flacco is the B version of Alex Smith, which is a game manager. You built the team is built around the defense. You have weapons on offense, and then I'm gonna give a quarterback who can make NFL throws the ball, but this quarterback can't go out there and gunsling and win me an NFL game. So, like Juwan was saying, they had the weapons on offense. Um, but what Juwan also has to agree to is it wasn't Joe Flacco that beat them. It was the Ravens' defense. And Joe Flacco managing the game by dinking and dumping to Anquan Bolden and Williams. Hold on, listen, listen. And going play action because that's what Joe Flacco was known for play action with Ray Rice, and then you have somebody like Antoine Bolden, who's not the fastest receiver, but probably one of the best route runners. And the boy's last name was Williams. I can't remember his first name, the receiver you're talking about. No, I think it was Jones, Odie. Who would take the top off. It might be Jones who would take the top off, and that's when they would go downfield with it. And Antoine Bolden would be in the middle of the field for 15 yards. Um, and Joe Flacco had the arm to make those throws. So you manage the game because that's not the game plan to have you throw the ball all over the field. Right. The game plan is let's get Ray Rice involved. Let's let our defense put us in a position to we only got to score 21, 24 points. And we'll get out of here. Everybody's safe. They're not. They're hurt and banged up. We're safe. Our offense can continuously just grind the game away. Um, but because of his game manage, manager uh, title, I can't add him over Alex Smith, and that's the only thing on your yeah, list. Yeah, and I actually had them kind of side-by-side side interchangeably because uh, I've always kind of defended Alex Smith. I just felt like people forgot about him because Kaepernick came in right after and then he never got a spot back. So I, I feel like that's kind of why – he gets overlooked. It's kind of the same way of, like, you know, Bledsoe being, like, losing his spot to Brady, whether or not Brady was better. But he was like, ah, oh, that's my team. Oh, I got hurt. Oh, he he's good. I, I'm not going to play no more. I, I, you know? I, think, I think that uh, why so many people overlook Alex Smith and what he does is because look at what the teams did after he left. I think that plays yeah, yeah. more – hard to it because yeah. you have Kaepernick 
oh, we're going to the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? And then you leave uh, Kansas City after keeping them relevant for four years. And damn, Patrick Mahomes, look what we got. We got the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So they always that look at it like, he must oh, not be God. that good. He must not be that good if we just put the quarterback that was behind him on the field and this quarterback goes out there and just wins us a Super Bowl or takes us to the promised land. Um, so, but what people fail to realize is that he would have did the same thing with the same teams that they had. He didn't get a chance to play with the weapons that Mahomes has now. You know what I mean? Well, like, that's the yeah. young team. And with San Francisco, he got a chance to play with that team, but he got hurt. And then Kaepernick came in and added another dimension onto what he wasn't. No, he didn't add a dimension. I'm sorry. He added a faster dimension of it because Alex Smith is a very, very, very great running quarterback when need be. Remember, he came from an option (laughs) offense with, uh, what's the boy, the uh, coach, the college coach, um, Urban Meyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was Tim Tebow before Tim Tebow out in Utah. So yeah, like uh Yeah. That's crazy. I, his I look his at career it. is like the movie uh Good Luck Chuck. You know, Good Luck Chuck <laughs> when dude hook up with the chicks and then they get married. Then they get like, married. Oh, we're on the team and then they he leave and oh we want a Super Bowl. We'll see you in the car, bro. <laughs> I look at it and I'm looking at Alex Smith's numbers versus Joe's numbers. They're somewhat comparable. Uh, Alex Smith's best years were actually in K- uh, Kansas City, not San Fran. Um, but the reason why the reason why I wouldn't really argue either or making it is looking up Joe Flacco's numbers, Odie. Um, two two thousand yards, three thousand yards, four thousand yards. None of those really were, were that much of dink and dunk. He had guys that could uh, go out there. Remember when he had TJ Hootsmanzada? Um, like, he's had big physical uh, receivers that he could just throw it up to. And albeit, I'm not saying TJ Hootsmanzada is uh, a game changer. I'm just saying he didn't need to – like, I'll give you a better example. Brady with Danny Woodhead, the year he had Danny Woodhead. That's dinking and dunking. The year uh, Peyton Manning had Eric Decker, that's dinking and dunking. Having someone like Anquan Bolden, and I think it was Jonathan Jones, I want to say was his name, something Jones. I I don't know how I just looked up the Ravens and didn't even look up his name. But I I think Flacco is just a teeny bit above what you would consider a game manager. Um, I just – I think he's overrated. And, Dom, that's been a big word uh, for me this week, (laughs) as you know. Um, I just think he's a bit overrated. That's why when Skip Bayless came out and started calling him Joe Fluco, I'm like, he's not necessarily wrong. Um, Because, like Odie said, the year they went to the Super Bowl, albeit Flacco was balling, that defense was to be feared. Like, remember, that was right in the cusp of when you could legit kill someone legally in football, right before I was like, all right, Enough of that. Protect our quarterback <laughs> by all means. So that Ravens team was knocking your head off. Uh, so was that 49ers team. So I don't know. I mean, if you if you twisted my arm, I would say both deserve a, a spot because um, Alex well, Smith is this, great. Go ahead. This is what I this is what I want to say to you about the dinking and dumping that I said about Alex Smith is you get those numbers right. Mm-hmm. 
and you'll have those numbers. But let me remind you of a quarterback who has similar numbers in a year, mm-hmm. who average throw downfield was under 14 yards. At one point in time, it was under 10 yards until later on in the season when they had to go downfield a little more because people were crowding the box. Jake Delhomme. The year they went to the Super Bowl with Steve Smith, mm-hmm. he did slant all season, and Steve Smith would take that ball forty yards every slant. No, I get what you're saying. So when when you say that, it made me go look up somebody like Anquan Bolden because Anquan Bolden has never been. I'm gonna take the top off of this team. Right. It made me go think like, let's look at the yak. The yak matters to a quarterback's yards. Like, for instance, Odell Beckham's rookie season, not rookie season, the year after his rookie year, that year, Eli Manning threw for 4,000 yards. How many of those yards do I contribute to Eli Manning? About 2,900. <laughs> Out of that 2,900, the 11, the 1,100 that's left goes to Odell Beckham and the other receivers for the yards after catch. Right. Like, remember, Eli Manning had a 1,000 yards when, uh, what's his name, Victor Cruz had his breakout year. Eli Manning, a 1,000 yards. No, I'm sorry, not a 1,000. I'm over-exaggerating. I think it was somewhere around 600 yards were uh, contributed to Victor Cruz run after catch that year alone. You're talking about like 600 yards. That's half of a thousand. So one player to accomplish that much of your yards. Now imagine when you have, and I'm sorry, if you go back and you look at the film and, you know, uh, Don was a Ravens fan. Uh, what year was that, Juwan, when they was beating up on y'all? So I know exactly. Was that the 2010, 2011, uh, no, or 2012? Hey. Hold on, because they did it twice. <laughs> one was in uh, the first round. One was, I think, in the championship. Let's just go off of the year they won the Super Bowl. So let's do uh, 2012, and let's do – let me see. Okay. It's another big year. Hold on. Odie, do 2012 and 2016. Those are some of his bigger uh, his bigger years. 2012, 2014, and 2016. I just want to bring this uh, stat up. Go ahead. Because, like, to me, I I just want to bring this stat up only because uh, I think, um, you know, Don may be able to, like, talk more to this because he was a Ravens fan. And what I mean by the dinking and dumping, because, uh, let me see, that's Russian. Receiving yards. 2012, how many yards did Flacco have, Jawah? Uh, throwing? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Sorry. 2012, he went 3,817. Wipe away 478. Okay. Why? Because that was all the screen passes that Ray Rice got that year where he had 500 yards receiving. I would then argue you, I would then argue you 2014 and 2016. Ray Rice wasn't on the team, but which is I'll why look I would up. argue. That's what I'm saying. That's why I would argue with you. 
I would have to know. I would have to see what the receivers was. Uh, but if you want, I know you brought up uh, T.J. Hushmanzada in mm-hmm. twenty. He was there in twenty fourteen, right? Mm-hmm. The, the year you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Actually, hold on, Odie. Let me ask. You, let me ask you and Dom this. I think this is a fair question, uh, Dom. Alex Smith in twenty seventeen threw for over four thousand yards, right? And then Joe Flacco in 2016 threw for over 4,000 yards. The better way to, to, to figure it out between the two is who had the better weapons that year? Because whoever had the better weapons. Mazzano was only in Baltimore for 2010, and he only had 398 yards. Really? Yeah. He was only there one year, and that was 2010. What team did T.J. Hootsman's – oh, I'm thinking Cincinnati. I'm thinking Cincinnati, Carson Palmer. Because he went Cincinnati, Seattle, Baltimore, yeah. Oakland. And ever since he left Seattle in that one year, it was just downward spiral because it was 398 and then in Oakland, 146. What did he have in Cincinnati? Cincinnati, uh, his last two years, three years, it was 1,081. 1,143, yeah. 904, and then a year after he went to Seattle in 2009, he had 911. Yeah, okay. But, um, I was thinking Cincinnati then, my bad. Yeah, so like I was saying, like when you, when you, uh, I'm gonna just look up, but when I'm talking about like he was banking and dumping, he had Ravens receivers. 2014, right? Yeah. Okay, so their receivers was Torrey Smith, Marlon Brown, Chase Davis, Jacoby Jones, Jacoby Jones, Michael Campanero, Kelly Washington, Steve Smith Sr., and Deontay Thompson. And I can tell you this. That was the reincarnation, Dom, correct me if I'm wrong, reincarnation of Steve Smith, Carolina days, where he was catching slants and taking them bitches yeah. to the house. They were dinking and dumping. It's just that Joe Flacco stats fluctuated that year because he was throwing the ball more. They didn't have a running back like that but <clears throat> that year because I look up who the running back was real quick. Yeah, but Odie, I, I want to make this clear. I'm not arguing with you that uh, that he doesn't dink and dump. I'm saying I, I had a quarterback that was quarterbacking my team for over 20 years, and I've seen the golden uh, the golden years of dinking and dunking. And I think Flacco that was Ray Rice, huh? That was Ray Rice last year. Yeah, yeah. 2014, um, and that's why he was throwing the ball because Ray Rice back up was uh Forsett, Justin Forsett. Yeah. I'm just saying I I think Flacco's a better thrower of the ball than Alex Smith. But if you tell me I gotta start a franchise with either or, I'm not really upset. I'm not really upset. That's why I said I think they both deserve a spot on this list. Um I would make room for, for both, honestly. I honestly if it wasn't for the fact because uh, if if I just took his Cardinal years, I, I'd love to make an argument for Carson Palmer. I'm not going to, but I'd love to. Um, I, I love watching Carson Palmer. Uh, albeit, you could say he was very fortunate to have Chad and then was very fortunate to have Larry Fitzgerald. Um, but I would also tell you, 
both of those receivers had had quarterbacks that couldn't get them the ball. So that does account for something. Um, but all right, let's move on. Our next, uh, our, our last two are, um, for our last two, we're going to, oh, shoot. We didn't even do wide receivers. Uh, all right, let's get into wide receivers. I'm going to state my my, uh, my entire five. Uh, this is pretty easy. I, I, I think ours might match, and we probably won't even argue with them. Uh, number one, I'm going Dez, unstoppable, and I love throwing up the X. Uh, Calvin Johnson, he earned the name Megatron. I don't even get what it meant, uh, but he earned it. Um, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, Brandon Marshall, and here's my shocker for my final pick, and I know Odie's going to go no, but I love him. If you watch them play, he is a stud, and I'm going Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen, albeit does get hurt a little too often, um, is a legit stud. Look at Phillip Rivers' numbers having Keenan Allen, um, and they're legit. Keenan Allen, if he could stay on the field, I am telling you, he will easily make himself uh, one of the top five uh, best wide receivers because he has that talent. I love Keenan Allen. In my season, I just put him on the Patriots. Um, that's how much I love Keenan Allen. But my top five, albeit uh, Keenan Allen's the only one I think could be debated, uh, Des Bryant, Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, and Brandon Marshall are, are not to be debated. <laughs> They're not to be debated. Um, but if anyone has any any remarks on it, uh, please go ahead. If not, then Odie, it's your go. So mine, um, you start with, like, the best hands. The NFL team since Jerry Rice, and that's Larry Fitzgerald. Then I go to Baby Megatron, Julio Jones. Then I go Calvin Johnson. So that's three right there. Mm-hmm. Then four, Steve Smith. And then five, the most, and I, you, everybody can have their opinion, but just I don't want to be part of the debate, so if you feel this way, you want to debate what I'm about to say about this receiver? Don't debate it while I can hear you. You, like, put me – I'll turn my uh, volume off and let me know. Give me a thumbs up when you're done debating it. Toughest receiver NFL history. Most physical receiver NFL history. Anquan Bolden. Yeah. I just gave him all the praise. See, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree with you. This no, is no but argument. So, some people might be like, oh, he's not the toughest receiver. Bullshit. The Nick broke his jaw and was playing in the, very, the same game in the next game like it wasn't nothing and was going head up with people. I have no arguments. There's, there's no arguments to come from me. I wanted to say it when you said Matt Stafford in the last one, how he broke his uh, – I think he tore his shoulder out. He came back in for the next play. And you were looking like, what the? What is wrong with this guy? And Quan Bolden is of the the same elk. I have no problems with your list whatsoever. Not not a near one. Um, and I, I do love that you put Julio Jones on there. Um, I think because Matt Ryan is so inconsistent, uh, Julio Jones does not get uh as much attention as he deserves. But I tell you what, I hate that I had I hate that I had to leave D Hops off of my list. But Listen. I couldn't. But 
I couldn't put him over Steve Smith only because of longevity. Yeah, no, I, I have no arguments with that at all. I wanted to put Hopkins on there, but it's just – and if you guys aren't familiar with it, I completely understand. I'm not here to con- convince you my way. But I just want you guys, when you get a chance, check out some Keenan Allen highlights. That boy is – Oh, no. he, he I, There's no argument about him. Okay. He just got hurt a couple times. He just right. had short seasons a couple times, and he was with Phillip Rivers in San Diego, which doesn't get no TV time. And it's a West Coast team, so they're playing not the hours that people want to watch. Exactly. But Keenan Allen is nasty. But, yeah, I agree with you, Odie. Not having Hopkins is, is tough. It, it, it's tough. But I tell you this, Dom, when I tell you I had nightmares – I mean, nightmares. The year the Ravens got Steve Smith, and Steve Smith got into a fight, uh, got into a fight with, um, shoot, uh, our corner. Um, he went to the Rams. Uh, Akib Tlaib. Akib Tlaib couldn't guard Steve Smith to save his life. Was so hard to watch. So hard to watch. Steve Smith is one of the toughest SOBs ever. Like, you you look at him, and it's like if he's in a bar, you're like, yo, I'm going to go pick on that guy. And then once you him, you'll find out exactly why you shouldn't have. Um, Steve Smith is a bad man. I like that you didn't I wish we could have went 10 because leaving Chad Johnson off the list it it hurts. hurts 10 times more than, yeah. leaving, um, than leaving Hopkins off the list. Yeah. But, the, the game is about receivers now, so, like, it could have went harder. so many different ways. Exactly. Like, you got to have a top 50, even from 2010 to 2019. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Um, But the reason why, like, no, yeah, I, I love your list, Odie. There's no argument to be made about Anquan Bolden. If you watch football, you'll understand why you have him on your list. It's only the people that occasionally watch SportsCenter every few days that wouldn't have Anquan Bolden on their list. But those people don't matter. Um, great list, Odie. Uh, Dom, who, who's your five? Um, so mine is <laughs> very similar uh, and almost matches Odie's, like, <laughs> to a T. But I have Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, Steve Smith, <laughs> Julio Jones, and my last pick is kind of a um, a biased pick, uh, and it's Jordy Nelson because that dude, that dude is was for for the Packers that guy that like he just clutch anything like oh it's third and forty guess what throw to Jordy and he's gonna catch it he didn't drop much I was heartbroken when he wasn't on the team anymore. Just like the Packers do to me every year, I get kind of <laughs> upset that they always end up getting rid of players that I love that haven't been there very long, it feels like. Um, but uh, it was between Jordy and, and Hopkins, and Jordy was just because he was a Packer, so I, 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 had to, I had to pull rank. Yeah, no, I would say Jordy to Rodgers is exactly what Edelman's been to Brady. Um but you don't get – they don't get – and I'll say this. Um, Primetime made this made this statement. He said, um, white receivers don't get any credit. 
um, because there's just too many great black receivers that you just don't really pay attention to them. So you, you miss out on the Eric Deckers. You miss out on the Wes Welkers. You miss out on the, the Jordy Nelsons, the Julian Edelmans. But all of them are great. And, Odie, stop showing me that if I can't eat. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, um, no, I mean, look, that, that's a great pick. I have no problem with that pick. It's not even a bias because hey, it's good. You know what? I think, I think that's good because they don't get recognition like our black quarterbacks don't get recognition. So, that's true. That's I, true. Me personally, I can't I can give two shits because when they talk about players like um, what's the old ass quarterback that he seems to always be a commentator until somebody loses two quarterbacks and then they sign him. Um, y'all know who I'm talking about. Fitz, he was with Fitz the uh, Seattle. Fitzpatrick. Hasselback? <laughs> Hasselback. There we go. Oh, Hasselback. Like. They give him so much credit for the one miracle season that he had, right? And, oh, he did this. He did that. Are these motherfuckers forgetting the year that RG3 had? There is no motherfucking LaShawn Jackson without RG3 showing motherfuckers that, listen, this shit will work. You just got to keep your quarterback healthy. Like, stop. Like, don't. People negate, oh, Mike Vick, he was one of the fastest quarterbacks, uh, running backs, playing quarterback. Fuck that. Talk about his rookie season. One of the best rookie seasons from a quarterback standpoint. Maybe not yards and throwing, but who had the better rookie season as a quarterback or first year as a quarterback? Um, And it can sound a little biased, um, but they were already in a position to win. And he had enough skill to get him there. So we have to leave Tom Brady's first year off. But when you talk about these other top quarterbacks, who the fuck had a better rookie season than him? I would argue. I would argue. uh, Wait, are you you talking about being able to make the playoffs or just stats? I'm talking about the impact on the game. Oh, oh, no, no, no one. I, I was, I was going to say stats-wise, Cam had a phenomenal rookie season. Phenomenal. Yeah, but what is he? A black quarterback. But does yeah. anybody say that? No. Well, so, like, yeah, okay, okay. No, I give it to you. Excuse my French because you're recording. But forget that. About time we have a position where we're not overlooked and somebody else is overlooked because you don't give black quarterbacks enough credit. So what Jameis Winston threw all those interceptions, guess what? He threw all those interceptions because he was breaking an NFL record, trying to anyway with yards and stuff. Is anybody forgetting the other two statistics that he dominated the NFL in yards and touchdowns? Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah, he threw a lot of interceptions. You can't say nothing about that. Did his interceptions lose them games? Two of them. And they were the last two games of the season. All those other games, they were going to lose. His interceptions didn't change the outcome didn't of the matter. game. Didn't matter. I'm sorry. So, like, yep. stop with stop with it because give him the same just do that you give Eli Manning, and that's why I go to bat for him because Eli Manning goddamn went to Super Bowl, and going into the playoffs, he had the same amount of touchdowns as he had interceptions. Yeah. Remarkable probably will never happen again that that is the rarest of rare to be able to do that. <laughs> like come on um, like, stop knocking our black quarterbacks man i'm glad we have a, a lot of positions in the nfl where uh the white man gets overlooked 
Yep. I've never seen a great white uh, DB ever in the history of my life, ever. The closest one was uh, Jason Seahorn, but that yeah. was a fluke because it was only one year. Yeah. Um, but I. Right. We was running cover twos. All right, let's move on. Let's move on to our last uh, our last two topics. Uh, the first one up is um, just five players, any position you want. Five. Oh, the war should see. I wish Tiana could see it. Um, just five players, but you're gonna take your five all-time great players from your specific franchise. Um, and again, this can't be argued because it's it's your opinion. Uh, you're taking your favorite players from your franchise. Um, I'll go first. Mine are pretty simple. Brady, Gronk, Edelman, Welker, uh, and who did I miss? I think I missed one person. Hold on. Uh, Brady, Gronk, Edelman, Welker, Moss. Um, now, a lot of people are going to get mad at me saying I didn't pick any of the great defensive players that we had, um, and there's a lot. Only issue, uh, only issue was Bill was more inclined to lose his great defensive player to bring another great defensive player in. That list itself could be like 30 of great defensive players to come through New England. There's not many great offensive players to stay in New England, let alone make an impact. So it was only Welker, Edelman, Moss, Gronk, Brady. That's really about it. Um, I could argue an honorable mention for Deion Branch, Corey Dillon, LeGarrette Blunt, James White. Um, but that's for another day. So that's what I'm going with. And Odie, while you get that bite in your mouth, I'm going to go to Dom. See what Dom has for uh, for the Packers. Who's your five, Dom? Um, so for me, it was for the Packers. It's quarterback heavy. <laughs> Got Bart Starr, Matt Championships, first two Super Bowls. Brett Favre is Brett Favre. Aaron Rodgers, it's Aaron Rodgers. Um, and then. I have like a, a half and half. I have Reggie White and I have Charles Woodson. Um, I'm a, I love defense. And, you know, when you're, you're growing up, you're the, you're the Husky kid. You play in D-line. D-line don't get to shine as much. So when you had a, um, a guy like Reggie White that was making it popular to be the D-lineman, you know what I mean, like a Warren Sapp and like some uh, – like, uh, what's the name? Like Tony Saragusa. You're like, yo, I'm trying to be these guys. Um, so Reggie White always did that, and then there's no stopping him. That dude, for as nice as he was, he put that helmet on. He's a completely different person, and there was no stopping him. Uh, and Charles Woodson is just—he had that X factor, man. Like he, what people thought Richard Sherman had, that's what Charles Woodson had. He had the X factor. Uh, he was the general on that defense and uh you knew not to go near him you know what i mean uh and that and this was like you know later on in, in his career uh and it was Until still met brandon jacobs <laughs> <laughs> I, like, um, I, like that. I like that so i want to ask you this dom does uh donald driver make your honorable mention yeah Dude, man, like I said, when the Packers always get rid of a good thing. Um, I know when he left, uh, they were very, like, everybody was upset. It was a, how do you, he's putting up numbers on numbers on numbers, and you let this guy go, but then you notice that that's just what the Packers do. They have 
a good run. And I don't know if they just get tired of guys or I don't know what goes on. But yeah, Donald Driver definitely makes the honorable mention. Yeah, I, I Clay Matthews rank on your list. Ooh. Clay? <sighs> uh pretty damn high. <laughs> right. He he was very reminiscent of like a Troy Palomalu that like in the anticipation, the 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 activeness and that motor, man, like never stopped. It's incredible. Yeah, I remember it was to me, it was it was like a so one two race. Julius Peppers started and ended there. Would he have made the list? Yeah, 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 for sure. It's <laughs> it was it was when Clay Matthews was was like coming into his own. It was like a one two race for me between him and Jared Allen that I thought were like the best. Well, Jared Allen technically was a, de- uh, a defensive end, but uh, those two coming off the edge was like, it's a good chance. It's a wrap for you. But I do want to ask you, and I told myself I wouldn't forget to ask this before I go to you, Odie, to end us for this topic. Where do you put BJ Raji? <laughs> <laughs> Man. B, I think BJ, I think he well, he had like a good solid like three two years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to where like he was real consistent. Um and then he was on the he was on the, you know, the more um I don't want to say he wasn't in shape. He's the heavy the heavier B line is that you're kinda like you're there to clog the middle up. And if you don't keep at it, you know, with whatever kind of workouts you're doing your career just kind of slow. They're going to move you to the to the three or the one. Um, but now, B, BJ, he was, he did his thing for a little bit. He just – he couldn't maintain it. But, you know, everybody loved the, the, the Raji dance, you know. Yeah, I love the Raji dance, man. I love watching BJ Raji play, man. He was one of my favorite players of the Packers. Um, but I, I had to ask, Dom. I had to ask. That's a deep cut. For anyone that's not like a real football fan, BJ Rodgers is definitely a deep um, <laughs> But Odie, um, yours and Dom's uh, are a list that could span to 100. Mine is the only one that can maybe go about 50 deep uh, in our whole franchise. Um, but yours had to be the hardest because you could go to just one era and pick five just from that specific era. Um, but who are you picking for your all-time Giants list uh, five players, any position. Who is your five? Uh, the first two, um, we don't even have to discuss. Uh, you guys should know what they are without me talking about them. Uh, LT that's LT is the only one I know. And Michael Strahan. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> the, uh, okay, so... I was thinking when I was doing this, um, just now, as y'all are talking, I'm still trying to figure out what my bottom have six that I want to say, because I can't decide that fifth spot because it's the same position, but two players. And so I'll, I'll leave that for last. Um, I had to flip to the offensive side and I had to think about um I had to think about people that catch the ball and stuff like that. And I wanted to say uh Mark Babar. He he started the tight end position for all tight ends. Um but I didn't put him on there um 
which is crazy to me. I went for uh, like a uh, pretty player, as you know they're called. And I went to Monty Zuma. Old man reliable. Um, he may not have the flashy stats or nothing like that, but every single year of his career, game in and game out, you knew where to find him. Um, so, like, for number three, it was him and Bavaro. So I couldn't split that up, but I just said Amani Tumi because I watched him more than I watched Bavar. Um, then I had the thing about the quarterback, and I know a lot of people want me to say Eli. He brought us two Super Bowls, but bet it, it, Phil I, Sims. I, it bet, I was about to say it better Phil be Sims Phil. Is, Phil right? Sims, I had to, um, although Eli and Phil Sims are neck and neck, and that is nobody above the other, only because of Eli was an Iron Man. But uh, if it wasn't for a dumbass coach who, you know, you lost your job because you did the dumbass shit by benching Eli, um, he would have never not started a game, you know what I'm saying, in his career up until last year when it was like, okay, your career is over. Um, and then that fifth spot I was talking about, it's extremely hard because one guy – just was like he was like the Derrick Henry before there was a Derrick Henry. Like I, it wasn't not a game that I can remember watching where his jersey wasn't ripped. Um, he reminded me of uh, Campbell of Houston the way he ran. Um, you just want to run over somebody and literally high step over them, um, and that's Otis Anderson. But then I was like. But well, what did the other guy mean and how he, before him, it was a struggle. After him, it was a struggle until now. And that's Tiki Barber. Like, time tight. Catching, <laughs> catching the ball, recreating the way running backs hold the ball because you had a fumble issue, um, blocking from a running back standpoint. Like, we signed, and, and throughout his career, we signed about five different third-down receiving running backs, and none of them made the field. Why did we sign five? Because after the year that you thought they were going to make the field and found out Tiki was better than them, you try and find somebody else to try and give Tiki a break. But, And I feel like he retired one year too soon. But – yeah. Him retiring also helped us win a championship in the long haul because we didn't feel as a team that we had to give this great running back the ball as much. And we spread the ball between three running backs that year. So it kept the offense balanced. Bradshaw. But- I fucking hated Bradshaw in that <laughs> Oh, my God. Him, Brandon Jacobs. Oh, oh. God, I hated them so much. I'm sorry, Odie. When when you said when you said you had to spread it between the three running backs, I was thinking, who is he talking about? I was like, oh, remember how much I hated those two. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, I had a flashback. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But yeah, that was my top six, seven. I couldn't just stay with five because two of those, um, so, they're they're dead even. I have to ask. One is a joke, obviously. The other one is is actually pretty serious. How does Victor Cruz not make it, especially if you went seven? 
because Victor Cruz, years. His number-wise, great for the time he was there, but his years playing there was not as as well and as long of a career with consistency as the other players. He would be in the top 20, okay. 25. Okay. And then the joke. You, you have to also think about um, if you're going to put Victor Cruz, you might as well put Plaxico. No, I take Victor over Plaxico. How? Plaxico brought you a Super Bowl before Victor Cruz. Plaxico had the same amount of years and more yards. Can I say this? Can I say this? Uh, well, we we know that Odie purely because Victor had uh, injury issues. It wasn't because of uh, ability. But I personally, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I think Victor Cruz is a better route runner and is a better uh, catcher of the football than Plaxico. I take him over Plaxico any day. That's just how I feel. And I, I won't argue that with you, but if we're talking about when you're going to put this list together, like okay. what somebody did for your organization, they they match up hand in hand because Victor Cruz brought us a championship. Okay. And then my joke one, obviously, was how come Jeremy Shockey didn't make it? <laughs> Jeremy Shockey is one of our top three tight ends of all time. Right. But Jeremy Shockey didn't make it because he was only there for three years. Okay. All right. Had to ask. That's another deep cut. Um, had to ask. Um, that's not. That's not a joke though, because the three years he was there, statistically, he was one of the all-time best tight ends, not only in the league them three years, but um, for our franchise, because tight ends isn't where our franchise relies heavy on. Right. Right. But he was. was he hard. was. It's... Now it was. <laughs> Hard leaving my man uh, Carl Banks off of the list, but if I had to pick two defensive players, he would have been the third. Oh, I like that. Um, all right, let's get into our final topic. This is going to end it for us tonight, guys. This has been a great show so far. We haven't really yelled at each other. This, this is this is a history in the making episode. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's get to our last topic. We had to get some NBA in there, uh, and I saw ESPN did this. They took each franchise and compiled their top five uh, starting lineup for each franchise. This is all time. So you can go whatever era, decade, whatever you want to go. So I'll start. My top five, pretty easy, self-explanatory. Number one, got to go with the worst dresser in the history of sports, and that's uh, Walt Clyde. Walt Clyde was one of the greatest point guards ever, but also one of the worst dressers. Craig Sager almost caught up to him. God rest his soul. Craig Sager did not know how to dress, but Walt Clyde be getting animals you've never heard of. I saw him wearing ostrich before. I didn't even know you could turn that into clothing. Um, but that's Clyde. Uh, number two, this one was very difficult because I, again, I was Goo Goo Gaga during the John Starks times, um, and J.R. Smith and Jamal Crawford are more so my era. As much as I wanted to put JR, I had to put John Starks because without John Starks, you wouldn't have his son in JR Smith. Um, so, John Starks. I, I had to go John Starks with my two guard. For three, as much as someone would come to me and say Bernard King, I would tell him, no, no, never over the king of New York, Carmelo Anthony. He makes the small forward position, not Bernard King. Sorry, Bernard King was not a Nick long enough 
to make it over Carmelo Anthony. Um, and Melo completely changed um, when he first got there, the whole dynamic of being the Knicks. It was no longer a laughing, uh, a laughing sign. It became that um, even with him there, but he changed it. Um, and number four, obviously Willis Reed. There is no other. Uh, well, to be fair, I, I struggled. I wanted to go Amari based off of impact. Um, Amari coming to the Knicks snowballed into something great for us. Um, but Willis Reed, obviously. And then number five, it's not even up for debate. Uh, Mr. I can't make a layup himself, Patrick Ewing, uh, <laughs> AKA, uh, <laughs> AKA ping pong ball master. Um, it, it goes, it goes to Patrick Ewing and that rounds out my, my top five. My honorable mentions are Jeremy Lin. Um, uh, I don't know why I just forgot his name. Um, dang it. Earl the Pearl Monroe, um, Tyson Chandler, and Amari Stoudemire. Uh, they make my honorable mentions. For anyone that laughs at Jeremy Lin, you could laugh, but I want you to go ahead and check out Jeremy Lin's stats in that three-month span uh, that he had with the Knicks to where we went from Mellow's out. We probably won't make the playoffs too. Who the hell is this kid? Who is this guy that is leading the Knicks – to victories over Kobe, over the Raptors. Like, he was just nasty with it before uh, Odie's, uh, Odie's savior, LeBron James, came out and exposed Jeremy Lin uh, by just putting Chalmers on him half court. Between Chalmers and Dwayne Wade, they put the clamps on the kid. Uh, I mean, he was just not the same. Um, but that's my top five. So, again, well, uh, Clyde Frazier, John uh, – John, completely just forgot John Stark sorry Carmelo Anthony Willis Reed and Patrick Ewing John Stark. Uh, yeah John Stark. I don't know why I was thinking John Stockton I, I don't know why <laughs> um but Odie, I'm gonna keep letting you get a few nibbles and I'm gonna go to Dom and I'll let you close it out Dom I don't even know who your basketball team is I'm just realizing yeah I was just gonna <laughs> say I, I'm not really outright is uh, and so, NBA-wise, <clears throat> I my well, growing up when uh, my mom married my sister's dad, <clears throat> uh, he was a Bulls fan, right? So, naturally, I watched Bulls games. But I was, you know, it, since it was his team, I wanted to be anti. And uh, I saw Kobe. I became a Lakers fan. Um so that's who I kind of rock with. I've been rocking with since I was a kid. I watched the Grizzlies because it's in Tennessee. Um, but they always disappoint me in the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, it's hard to root for them. <laughs> but uh, I, my team was kind of the same with what ESPN had already picked. I mean, basically it's the same. I mean, Magic, uh, Jerry West, Kobe, Kareem, and Shaq. And – they're so good that you only have to say their whole names and know who I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, we, we've had, we, we've already made the argument of like Kobe and Jordan, essentially the same player. So I saw that matchup of like, you know, the Bulls greats versus the Lakers. And I mean, how, how do you beat Kareem and Shaq? You don't, <laughs> you don't. Um, 
I don't know as much about Dre West as much because when I started, you know, researching some of these players when I was younger, I didn't really, I didn't really care. I was like, ah, he don't really look like me, so I don't really care that much. Um, so it's no, no offense to him. I know he's great, but like, I just didn't care that much. Um, and the magic, I, It's one of those things when you're when you're starting to shoot basketball as a kid, you learn how to play the game. You don't realize how much a great passer is necessary. And especially when they pass it so smoothly that it could be an accident and it makes it look like it was meant to happen uh, on top of being able to score at will because you're such a great passer. So uh, I think that that team is, is – I don't know how you beat it, honestly. Yeah, no, they were going through the history of all the teams in, in the NBA. They're, they're top five. Uh, the only team that could uh, even remotely compete with that um, that Lakers team is the Golden State team. That Golden State team, almost unguardable. Um, and then people forget, uh, I, I could be wrong, but I think they had Will Chamberlain. Um, they had Will Chamberlain oh, yeah. in their starting five. So you're talking about Curry, Clay, Durant, either Chris Mullen, uh, or whoever you wanted to go with at the four, and then Wilt freaking Chamberlain. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that that it just it's not fair. Like if I played two K and someone and I'm like, Yeah, let's get a legends team and someone got the Warriors, <laughs> I would, I'd throw my controller. Like no, we're not about to play that game. That's like an all star team. <laughs> like that's not fair um so I would say that's probably the only team that I would look at from point guard to center that it would almost match up everywhere uh right. because each person you would say to a degree is somewhat unguardable um but Odie's gonna have the most fun with his team uh so go ahead and end it out for us Odie so because I don't have a favorite NBA team. I have favorite NBA players. There's only two that from start to beginning I watched their career. Well, not all in one. So, to be fair, instead of taking a player from a franchise any year and this, that, and the third, because there were some greats, especially if you think about the franchises that LeBron has played for. We go all day including the Lakers. So I said I have to break it down for with players that they played with because my two favorite players. So not the franchises. Um, so I didn't do the Bulls because Jordan only played for the Bulls. So I went with LeBron. LeBron's been with me for going on 20 years. Jordan came in the league when I was born. I can't tell you shit that Jordan did in the league when I was four. You know what I mean? Or before four, but so you're talking about 98, like when he started getting to the playoffs in 91, a couple years prior to that. So I went with LeBron. So I can only go off of players that he played with to make my top five. So, of course, the point guard is going to be Kyrie. The, uh, and these are people not from organizations, but he actually physically played with. 
Um, the shooting guard, we know who that is. That's D-Wade, the flash man himself. Um, small forward slash power forward slash every position on the court is LeBron. And the reason I say small forward slash all that because uh, a power forward and center are both power forward slash centers, both of them. So whichever way you want to chalk it down, it would be AD and Chris Bosh. Kevin Love does not make the list because Kevin Love was not that great when he played with LeBron. He was great before LeBron. He was not that great with LeBron. He was injury prone. Uh, wait, so AD is your four and Bosh is your five or alternate? Vice versa, either way you want to okay. put him on the court. Yeah, I mean, look, if I, if I was holding you to specific positions, um, I would say AD and Bosch cancel each other out. And I would say my favorite five. Only reason five I would play. say only reason I would say you can't do that is because AD's actual position in the NBA is C slash PF. No, 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 Chris no, no. Bosch actual position in the NBA is PF slash C. I get you. I get you. I, I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm I'm not doing that to you. I get you. I'm just saying, if I canceled those two out, LeBron's best center, I would say it was Zadrunas Elgowskis. Um, and El- LeBron's best center that wasn't AD or Chris Bosh, yeah, hands down. <laughs> His best center didn't even start. If you're just talking about somebody who just had a pure center, wasn't versatile, and only played one position, it was the Birdman. His best center. And you can put the bird man on that team and have him do exactly what you need your center to do. Play right. defense, rebound, and a Dennis Rodman type role. Problem is, Elgowskis was some a poor man's version of Bosch before Bosch. Elgowskis can No, not, not, not with LeBron. Before LeBron, yes. But no, with LeBron? With LeBron. With LeBron, he was washing. No, he was no. just a big body. Cody, no, with LeBron, he was fired. Because remember, Zadrunas Elgowskis had two seasons with LeBron that he was really good, and then that's when Verjao came in. That's when Anderson Verjao came in. Listen, listen here, right? I'm gonna be honest with you, and I'm a, I'm I'm gonna be honest with you because I followed that man's career. I don't know how much you followed him. I follow his career since his junior year of high school. I don't care what stats say or nothing like that. Ilgowskis was a big man in the league that was transitioning into guards. But Anderson Varejel was a more dominant center with LeBron than Ilgowskis was. And don't just look at the stats, because if you're just looking at stats, then you can't put Birdman there. But I'm sorry, let's ask Don, the voice of reason here today, Don. You had to pick between who was more of a presence on the basketball court and a X factor. Would it be Elgowskis or Chris the Birdman? Uh, I mean, if I was if I was to pick one for my team. Um, I'm probably going to need Berman just because he's all over the place. He's the kind of that spark plug in your face, pesky. And Poor man, Dennis Rodman. I mean, yeah, and <laughs> El Gasco's kind of – he kind of lumbered around. He was good, but he kind of lumbered and 
he couldn't really be a force. He was just like, if he happens to be in an area, then, you know, he's in the way. But Birdman kind of can move and transition real well. All I'm saying is we're going we're going off of uh we're going off of stats. And the reason why I say you have to go off of stats is remember, Kyrie didn't have uh I think he had one full run with LeBron. Uh the other one was injured and then he got traded before the start of the other. They didn't play a full four years together. Odie, how long do you think Kyrie played with LeBron? It was his second year but not LeBron. Hold on, time out. It wasn't Kyrie's second year. It was his third year when they got LeBron. Um, he just missed a whole – he missed damn near a whole season with the injury. He was injured before LeBron. Right. Um, but Kyrie played the whole regular season the year and in the playoffs the year they lost to uh, the Warriors the first time. Right. That was LeBron's first year there. That's right. a full season. Right. Then the next year they win it all. He played the whole season. Right. The year after that, he got traded. No, he played. No, he got, he got hurt later. In... He got traded. How many the... years did he play with LeBron? Three. After the third season, exactly. He played three full seasons with LeBron. Right. You not? You didn't even hear my point before you cut me off. I was saying so statistically what. Statistically, his numbers aren't as uh, aren't as high as if you look up LeBron with Mo Williams. LeBron with Mo Williams had better numbers because of because of the longevity, because of the longevity. But I get it. I'm just saying I take Zadrunas Elgowskis because if you look at when LeBron's most effective, it's when one through five can spread, can spread. He does not succeed when you're just sitting in the paint. That's why I didn't work when Shaq was there. That's why he struggled with Varejao. And that's why he struggled with Birdman. If you remember, Birdman came in for defense. They quickly switched him out and played Bosh and Richard Lewis at the four and the five. So what I'm saying is LeBron would thrive better with Ogowskis kicking wide open um, threes in the corner. I'm sorry, but are you forgetting that yeah, the Spurs beat him in the championship, but Chris Bosh was out for most of that season with blood clots, and it was somebody no. who couldn't. No, you're wrong. It he was didn't somebody have blood clots until after LeBron left. The blood clots were recent. He didn't have blood clot issues. He missed damn near half the season worth of games that year because he was dealing with that blood clot the whole season, bro. Look it up. Okay. Because you, you forget he played a full season when LeBron left, and then that's when he couldn't do it anymore. It, it was just too much of an issue. Because remember, there they was a found the blood clot. Go look up how many games he missed that last year that LeBron was there. He missed a lot of games, him and D Wade, because D Wade had the knee issue, and Chris Bosch was missing games for the blood clots. Because that's when they first discovered it, and then the next year they wouldn't let him play because he had to have the surgery. Now, like I was saying, do you forget that their center that started in his absence was somebody by the name of Anthony? Yeah, Joel Anthony. Exactly. And Birdman didn't hog up the paint. Birdman was more effective on the court with LeBron on the court because Birdman is exactly what Dom just said. 
he was a utility player that you didn't have to worry about. He wanted to get down and dirty. So the reason why Birdman was such a great player to put on the court with LeBron and Ray Allen is because the Birdman would just run around the court setting picks for everybody off the ball, getting them open shots. Go look at the game film. I have it. I have the NBA pass because it was free, and I watched all of their playoff games from those seasons. The yeah. Birdman was – And still – And Ilgowski's three-point shooting percentage was shitty as hell if he wasn't in the corner. That's what I just said. That's where you kick it to him, in the corner. You don't kick it to him. No, spot. because Ilgowski's was like Dom said, a lumberjack who wanted to be in the post. You got to remember, he was damn near 45 when LeBron was there. That's not true. He was not that old. Relax. You're exaggerating. He was not that old. Okay. Right here. Ilgowskis' okay. three-point percentage. Three-point percentage was .478 in 2009-2010 and .385 in, uh, in the year before. That's pretty good from your big man. Are you serious? How many did he take? How many did he make? How many did he take? How many did he make? How many did he take? How many did he make? He took in 08, 09. Hold on, my internet's going out. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Go ahead. All right. In 08, 09, he averaged six and made about three. And 09-010, he averaged four and made about two. I'm talking about overall, how many did he take on the season? That's what I just – that's what I'm talking about. Oh, how many did he take overall? Um, They actually don't say that. It doesn't say it here. It doesn't say here. But – and because LeBron was drafted in 03. So, Ogalskis is with LeBron from 03 – LeBron's entire time in Cleveland, uh, that first go-around. And he averaged 15, uh, 16 LeBron's rookie year, 15 a year after, 11, 14, 12, and then 09 uh, to 10, and then 10 to 11, it went from 7.4 to 5. So that's legit. That's legit to have in your center. Yes, he's not your rim protector. Yeah. But for you to have a five that is averaging that over the course of your span, I'm telling you, LeBron, i tell you this, Dom, I'll say this, because you went Birdman, right? LeBron flew from Miami all the way to Cleveland just to see Ilgowski's number get hung up in Cleveland. Why? Because he knew how valuable that man was. When Chris Anderson retires, LeBron won't even ship him some Dom Perrier. Uh, to celebrate his retirement. He don't care. Ilgowskis, LeBron knew he was that guy for him in his time there. So I'm telling you, if LeBron had to make his all-time five with players he played with, his five, if if you're not counting AD and Bosh as your four or five alternative, Ilgowskis would be his five. If not, Ilgowskis would come off the bench. Not Chris Anderson, not Anderson Varejao, not Joel Anthony. That's all I'm saying. And maybe even Dwight Howard over those guys. He might even pick up Dwight Howard over Chris Anderson and in, uh, in, uh, in Joel Anthony. That's all I'm saying. Ogalskis' numbers were, were, were solid. Uh, way better than what Odie was trying. He was so lanky and, and, and falling off. His, his stats to, towards the end of his time 
was really good. Really good. It was around what Kevin Love's were, and Kevin Love was eight million times a better player than Ogalskis. So that's all I'm saying. Okay. So so you want to talk about his three point percentage, right? In those two years in 09 and 010. He averaged taking less than one three pointer a game. He wasn't spreading the court. Do you forget that LeBron was getting bounced? Hold on, listen, listen to what I'm saying because your statement was when you could spread the court and give LeBron the lane and him have the option to dish it out to a center that could shoot threes. Nogalskis wasn't that player, and that's why LeBron wasn't winning, is because he didn't have the center of the lane to do that, because Nogalskis was in the center of the lane. So what are, you, what, are you, what are you saying about you putting him I, as your center? I'm saying, what I'm trying to say to you is, Ilgowskis is more equipped to help LeBron offensively than Chris Anderson is. LeBron favors Ilgowskis over Chris Anderson. You can Google it and YouTube it. He how, said how, hold on, time out, time out, time out. How is he more equipped to help LeBron offensively based off of what you said originally about giving LeBron the lane and if spreading took, everybody out? If you said he took point two or however many, bring up how many Chris Anderson took. Okay, so how many did Chris Anderson assist on is what I'm saying to you. I'm just talking about offense, scoring. scoring. What, what, is Le, what is LeBron's best asset? Shooters. No, what is his best asset? What's his best attribution? Oh, Passing oh, the ball, right? His, yeah, okay, okay. Passing the ball, right? Yeah. Okay, so let me ask Dom. You, you follow basketball a little bit, right? Yeah. If you're a point guard and you want to pass the ball to your shooter, what is, do you feel is better? to have at four players on the court that stand in a certain position and you drive and you kick it to them or three three shooters on the court and one dirty man that's getting those shooters open for you for when you drive, you're kicking it to somebody running wide open to a hot spot. Which one would you prefer? Yeah, I prefer the movement in the in the dirty the dirty guy. Exactly, and you know what? If you go look at LeBron's stats right now this year, LeBron this year was doing so damn great with the uh, White Howard on the court because the White Howard was set to pick for him, and then go set the pick for one of the other shooters on the court. Go look at it. We could watch the film all day. What I'm simply saying to you is, if you're talking about uh, contributing to LeBron's asset and his, what he does best, which one is better equipped for his offense? I'm sorry, LeBron numbers was better on the court with Chris Anderson and the picks he was set for Ray Allen and the other shooters on the team, like his favorite player of all time, Mr. Jones. It was Chris Anderson who was doing the dirty work, taking doing the picks, taking charges while setting the pick and stuff like that. Those are the things that LeBron likes better than somebody that's sitting in the post, give me the ball, or I'll set a pick for you, but I can't roll nowhere because I'm too lumberjack slow to do it. He was a great center for LeBron at the time when you still had Shaq dominating the league and he was one of the only other centers that was damn near Shaq's size to play against Shaq. All I'm telling you is the man said it out of his own mouth. 
That's his favorite center. So I'm saying if you're picking all-time players that he played with, I get your opinion. I'm not arguing your opinion. I'm saying the man saying he would pick Ogalskis over everybody else. And I need to see that interview or that statement. Yeah, for sure. I'm sending you the, the link to the, the – um, where he specifically actually is saying uh, he's comparing Ogalskis to um, Przingis. And what year did he say this? Because it couldn't have been before he – it can't it can be before he played with JaVale McGee because I take JaVale McGee playing with LeBron and LeBron assets over Elgowskis. Oh, I would take JaVale – I would take JaVale McGee over Chris Anderson. I would take the current centers he has over Chris Anderson, Joel Anthony, Elgowskis. Okay, all I was – all I was saying is I compare Gauskas to Chris Anderson, and I'll take Chris Anderson over Gauskas. But if you're talking about the best centers that complement LeBron's game, I'm taking JaVale McGee. <laughs> like, but you're talking about the top five players that LeBron played with, and you're going to take Gauskas over Chris Bosh and uh, – No, that's not what and, I said. No, look at you. You argue that you will put Elgowskis on the court in the top five. No, but in the I crunch said, time, he was there. No, okay, so look at no, it like this. Time look out, at, no, hold on. That's not what I said. Like this. Look at it like this. Go ahead. That's not what I said, but go ahead. I, I look at look at it like this. He was there, LeBron's whole first run with Cleveland, right? Well, who yep. got the crunch time minutes when they needed LeBron to take over at the end of games? It wasn't Elgowskis on the court. He was there the whole time. It was Verizal. Verizal came later, Otis. That's what I keep trying to tell you. He came later. Later. But, hold on. Time. He came. Was he there with LeBron when LeBron went to the NBA Finals? Yeah. Okay. Who was the person getting the crunch time minutes the year LeBron went to oh, the wait, NBA? Wait, 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 wait! No, 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 no! I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. No, no. Virgil was not there the year LeBron uh, took that team to the finals. Did he play with LeBron his first run in Cleveland? Uh, Virgil. Yeah. Towards the end of, of of his career playing in Cleveland, yeah, like the last three, maybe four years, three, three, I think four is a stretch. Three, I think though. But that's not oh. what I said. While you look it up, let me say this. I said if uh, Anthony Davis and Chris Bosh cancel each other out and you could only put one at the four, I would then put Ogowskis at the five. If I have to look at them both as a power forward or a center, yes, I would go Bosh at the four, AD at the five. Duh. How many years was Anderson Vergel in Cleveland? Uh, with LeBron, because that's specific to say, with LeBron, I'd say three, four years is a stretch. What year did LeBron come into the league? Oh, three. What year did Anderson Verzell come into the league? I, I don't know specifically. I, I don't know. Fifth or what? Oh, four. What center had better stats for the years that Anderson Verzell was with Cleveland with LeBron the same time as Ilgowskis? Now, when you mean stats, do you mean points or do you mean rebounding blocks? What do you mean? I mean, have more all around, I mean, all around stats. I all mean, around all around stats. stats. All around, yes. It goes to Verizal. Points, it goes to Elgowskis. 
So they were with LeBron the, damn near the same amount of years except one, and Ander, Anderson Vergel was the better center. He, yes. he had more minutes. Better center? But was he, he had more minutes. How many points did he have? He had, what year did LeBron leave Cleveland? Uh, I think I have it here. Uh, I don't that know. was 2010, right? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let me see. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 2010. Okay, so Anderson Verzell, 9.1, 9.7, almost a double-double that whole season. The -hmm. year before, 8.6. 7.6 rebounds. The year before that, 8.6 points, 7.2 rebounds. The year before that, 6.7, 8.3. The year before that, 6.8, 6.7 rebounds. And then his first two years, he was only averaging five points a game, five rebounds. Go okay. ahead. Now can I go? Go ahead. Okay. Ilgowskis, since LeBron's been in the league, Ilgowskis has been averaging, uh, so you go to 03, 04. His points, 15.3, and then he trailed off with 7.4, His rebounds went from his highest was 5.7, but he averaged about four to five rebounds per game. But when you're – And that's why he wasn't even the starter later on in the years because he averaged those points against the second-team players. He wasn't averaging those against the starters. Go ahead. How many games did he start? Go ahead. That should be on there, too. Because if, if you want to talk impact and who was the better player on with LeBron on the court, Anderson Vergeau. And that's just off watching, you can tell that. Was Anderson Vergeau, was Anderson Vergeau a, uh, an all-star? And what year did, was Ilgowskis uh, the All-Star? 2 They finished with the third. Anderson Vergeau wasn't on the team. I'm still saying he was never an All-Star. Uh, man, Juwan, stop. You can't, you're not going to win this argument. You're not going to win this argument. Was he an All-Star? Anderson Vergeau, uh, no. I don't think. Let me see. I'll check. He was an all-star reserve. Okay. Bravo for that. Um, damn. 93. Jesus. Two-time. Oh, he was an all-star in 05. All-rookie team. Career statistics. Game started. Oh, here we go. Game started. 03 to 04, 81. 04 to 05, 78. 05 to 06, 78. 06 to 07, 78. 07 to 08, 73. 08 to 09, 65. And then his worst start, his started year, where Anderson Vergeau took over completely, was 09, 
2010 because he only had six starts. Okay, now read the minutes of the games he started because when you when you do the opening tick up, tip off, you're considered starting that game. Right. So you read ready? the minutes. You ready? So read the minutes. Okay. Mm-hmm. 0405-33-0506-29-0607-27-0708-30-0809-27-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29-27-29
and he can play defense. And so basically what you're saying is energy, right? Yeah, if you want if you want to capitalize it to that, sure. Dom, and that year when LeBron went to the NBA finals, who had the bigger impact on the game day-to-day? Anderson Vergel or Agalskis? Anderson Vergel with his nine points or Agalskis with his 15? Uh, Vergel, like, I think, it, and for me, it's the kind of same reason as, like, the Birdman thing. He was a, around more, you know what I mean? Yeah, but imp- see, to me, I, I don't get that because you could say Bosch was a bigger impact on Miami than Dwayne Wade was in their championship runs. But I don't think anyone would say that. It could literally go either way. Wade gave you what Bosch didn't. What? Wait, hold on. But Dwayne Wade also gave you what Chris Bosch did, but even more because Chris Bosch didn't hit the floor as much as D-Wade. Chris Bosch didn't jump in the stands as much as D-Wade. And D-Wade got just as many blocks as Chris Bosch from a guard position. He was the better energy guy on defense. He was the better energy guy on offense. And he was the better energy guy over around overall. And what I'm saying to you is you're saying that Ilgowskis had bet just as much or more of an impact on the court that Anderson Vergel did when Anderson Vergel was one of the most hated players when he was with LeBron. And he is the main reason why the Chicago Bulls almost fought Cleveland every single time. He was that dog. He was the Steven Jackson of Cleveland. He was the dog. He was the Dennis Rodman of Cleveland. He was a dog. Go look at the games. Go watch the games again and look at the impact he had on everybody's energy. And uh, Ilgowskis was a liability because it was transition at that point in time of the league. What, why was the, the Pistons so successful in the years that they was there? I was just watching. Um, it was on ESPN, I think, last week. I'm not sure if you caught it, Dom. But when the Pistons beat the uh, Lakers in, for the championship that year when the Lakers had Gary Payton and everybody, the Pistons didn't have a better center. They had an energy center who ran up and down the court. Ben Wallace averaged like five points a game, but his five points meant more than their backup center, which was uh, Dampier. No, it wasn't Dampier. It was somebody of Dampier's caliber, but was scoring more in the offensive sets because it was slowed down when he was in the game. But Ben Wallace, five points, had a bigger impact on the game than the other centers because of the momentum that it brought in. He may not get the assist. He may not get the basket. But his impact of running up and down the court got the defense out of whack and out of position because somebody had to cover him and their player in the corner or wherever they was at. And somebody was going to score if you got one person guard two people. That's the point I'm making, Jawan is the impact on the game is totally different than somebody scoring. I, I, I don't get that because I could point out to you plenty of scores that are just as much as, of, of an impact as a goal. I didn't say a score isn't an impact player. What I said was you're comparing 
Anderson Verzell and Elgowskis, and you said Elgowskis because he was getting 16 points a game and Anderson Verzell was only getting nine points a game, he made a bigger impact on the game. And what I'm saying to you is that, and matter of fact, you watched it. Jordan said it himself. They don't win the championships without Dennis Rodman. How many points did Dennis Rodman average? He impacted the game everywhere else. Energy. So if you want to compare Wellington, who scored more points, Tony Kuko to score more points, Ron Harper, who scored more points, and tell me, out of those three combined, if they had a bigger impact combined, the game than Dennis Rodman did, and you say them three combined had more of an impact on the outcome of a game than Dennis Rodman, you're sadly mistaken. There's a bunch of players who impact on the game isn't because of their scoring. Here goes one for you, one you cannot deny. He wasn't the leading scorer, but he won an NBA Finals MVP because of his impact on the game. Andre Iguodala. Was he the best player on the court? Was he the leading scorer in any aspect? Was he the leading stat man in any yeah, aspect? That no. Doesn't, that doesn't, no. But do they no. win the championship without Iguodala that year? I'm sorry. Who did Iguodala guard in the finals? Do they win the championship? See, no, here we no, go. No, 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 no. Answer the question. Who did he guard? He guarded LeBron. What did LeBron average? I don't know. I can tell you right now because Shannon Sharp preaches it every day. He averaged 30, 10, and 10. What was Iguodala doing to stop LeBron? Okay, so how about this? Did he stop LeBron at any point in time? Of that series? Not when you're averaging 30, 10, and 10. Where? Dom. Let's ask Dom. Dom. Did he have – hold on, time out, time out, time out. Let me, let me, let me, let me talk. Did Iguodala stop LeBron at any point in time during that series? Uh, from what I remember, uh, I, I, I thought besides, I know the points looked uh, made it look a little different, but I thought he was doing a pretty good job. On it. Exactly, you're talking about one of, if not the greatest player in the NBA, who could have easily scored 50 in those games and averaged 50 points. Iguodala's energy impacted that series. Without Iguodala, Dom, do they win that series? With Cleveland down two men. No. No, right? So you're talking about stats versus impact. This is where we're we're not seeing eye to eye again, Jawan. Impact on the game. Here goes another one for you, Jawan another player that went off in the NBA Finals, but his team only won one game. Because another player will always be remembered for being stepped over after a shot was made, but his impact playing defense, making somebody use up all their energy just to get open to get the ball, affecting how often they could go on spurts scoring spurts to keep their team relevant was Tyron Luke. His impact playing defense on Allen Iverson, although Allen Iverson still got his points, one of the greatest scores in NBA history, is what helped them contain the 76ers 
who even without no help, nobody around, had a solid team to at least play defense and get their best player scoring. Impact on the game. All right, I'm going to end this. We're not going to agree uh, because you're not going to tell me, Iguodala, if they had to redo that, it goes to Steph Curry uh, because he had the bigger impact. They don't win that series if Steph Curry isn't Steph Curry. Iguodala could try to stop LeBron, but he's still average. So why did he get the MVP? I couldn't tell you. I still don't understand. I can tell you what they said. They said they felt as though he did a great job guarding LeBron. I guess. I guess. It was more impactful – Kawhi, what Kawhi did to LeBron in that series than what Iguodala did. So, so, so you're telling, so you're telling me that LeBron scored all 32 on Iguodala. Are you going to tell me that he scored 10 on Iguodala? Only 10. Okay, so go back and watch the games, right? And I want you to tell me when LeBron went on his spurts of scoring and who it was against, because I can tell you. Because it's the same play that they got rid of the next year because of the fact that they couldn't maintain LeBron with keeping him off the court because he was a starter. And he couldn't stop LeBron from doing anything on the court, not a single thing. And that's one of my favorite players because he went to my favorite basketball college. And that's Harrison Barnes. That's who LeBron was going off on. And Iguodala was coming off the bench. And when Iguodala came off the bench, guess who was carrying the load for Cleveland in that series? The unsung hero, quote-unquote, of Cleveland. Okay. Go ahead. Right. He's white. His name is Deladova. Go watch it. It's on NBA uh, TV app that is free. I can give you my login for it so you can go watch this series because okay. I watch all of the series all over again, Okay, all six games. Check out the link that I sent you in the group chat. But, all right, this has been a great episode of Great Debates. I've been your host, joined with Dom and Odie, as per usual. Uh, we will see you guys same time, same place next week. Till then, 